All right, welcome to the Rekindling Ministries podcast series. This is episode 3.14, and today we're following up the suffering and prayer studies that we just previously did with the topic of grieving and specifically trying to recover from suffering. My name is Shannon Kirkpatrick, and I am the facilitator for Rekindling Ministries. And my name is Zach Rios, and I'm a student studying youth ministry. And so we have another guest with us in the the air quote studio uh, with us. This is a, a longtime friend of mine. I don't know how many years we've known each other. Ten or twelve. Eight, I think. No, it's longer than that. Because I've lived here for eight years. And we. Oh, you know what? Yeah, you're right. It is eight years because I, I just moved down. I am the doctor. Yeah, you are the doctor. Yeah. And so this is this is Dr. Vicky Farrow. She has her. I'm so proud of her. I always brag about this. But she has a PhD in clinical psychology. She's actually in town visiting, so it worked out well uh, that she could sit and record this with us. So Vicky, welcome to the Rekindling Podcast. Thank you. Very happy to be here. And so we know that uh, you've actually listened to a lot of the podcast episodes, and your group back in San Diego was actually just working through season one. Is that correct? Yes. So my my women's group uh 10 girls and i met and we would listen to the the spiritual lenses and we got a lot out of it and we start to use the language now um just kind of in our processing of of things together so yeah that's good what would you say uh is so you you know you've listened to some of the episodes even some of the unpacking from season three Mm -hmm. here you and i have had tons of conversations over the years with Mm -hmm. a lot of this stuff what's something that you've always got out of like the rekindling approach to things i just appreciate the depth of um the top i mean just how in depth you go into the topics and help me i mean i think about the love series and just Mm. that blows my mind about everything that love entails and um you know thinking about what our world would look like if we were actually living out you know as you always say applying the details of the bible to the details of our lives yep. so that that's for me kind of the biggest thing of working is just cool. the depth yeah. good I'm glad, I'm glad you could do the recording uh and we also have one other um gonna be a new permanent guest or or mascot since we we did our last recording i actually got a dog ghost and so i'm going to introduce ghost here um so ghost do you have anything you want to say to the uh, to the audience no, she she's just chewing on her on her bone and then sniffing the microphone right now um so she, so you might be hearing her a little bit in the background uh also um so even though this is episode 3.14 which is right after 313 A and B in prayer and, and 312 suffering. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually been several months since we've recorded. So we're, yes. we're getting back in the groove. Uh, so be, be, I feel like I fell off my bike. <laughs> and so be patient with us a little bit uh, as we as we get back into the, to the recording. But thankfully, once you learn to ride a bike, you just pick it right back up, yep. or so they say. So we'll see how well this analogy really goes. <laughs> yeah, hopefully I won't fall over again. So the first thing, so in, in this, so we did the unpacking on, on grieving Oh my goodness! I guess earlier this year is when we actually did the unpacking study, and so so we're, we're recording it now. And I knew that I wanted to do the grieving study because you know the whole point of the suffering study, which we'll get into more in a minute here, um, was trying to wrap our mind around what is suffering, and then why does a good, loving God allow suffering, mm-hmm. right? And, and how to deal with it. But we, I remember when, when we recorded that, we only touched on uh, like how are you supposed to grieve it, and I knew. Like I had a feeling just in my personal life that I don't grieve well mm-hmm. um, and I wanted to grieve better. And so that was on my list. I'm like, I want to do an unpacking on grieving. And so we ended up doing that. Now, what we found was that the unpacking topic is actually probably more accurately described as how to recover from the suffering process and mm-hmm. grieving becomes one of the core points to it. So the study ended up going even bigger than just the grieving point and actually mm-hmm. this recovery point. Um, but that, that's what we're going to cover today. So. So we're going to get into um, 
now that I'm experiencing some sort of suffering or a loved one of mine that I'm trying to help is experience suffering, how do we go through all this? And so like we said in the suffering study, the suffering study we had mentioned at the beginning that it was more of an intellectual exercise and we were frustrated with that, but we mm-hmm. knew that's what needed to be done for the podcast. And so we were going to touch on the emotional elements behind it, but we wanted to mainly get all the information out there, get the terminology, try to kind of organize the thoughts of, of what the Bible is presenting when it comes to suffering um, from a more intellectual th- approach. But absolutely, that's not to belittle the emotional component. Mm-hmm. Um, that's still a very important part. So the same is going to be held true for this episode. So we, you know, we, we already went through all of our notes and kind of kind of worked through all this. It's a lot of intellectual information, and I want to get it out there. I want to try to create this picture of what the grieving process looks like. Um, and so it's going to be a lot of these intellectual definitions and discussions, and, and we won't do as much grieving. Because you can imagine like if we did an episode where we had individuals that maybe had went through severe grieving, and the whole point, the whole episode was them just talking from the heart mm-hmm. about how they recovered from the suffering. That would be awesome. But that's not the point of this one. This one's to get all the information, the definitions, and all that kind of thing out there. So just we're, we, we acknowledge ahead of time that we're taking an intellectual approach to this. Yeah, because what we're really trying to do today is just form more of a framework for how to look at grieving yeah. and recovery and that whole process. We can't go through on an individual basis how to actually do this for you and your situation. Uh, we just want to kind of provide some framework type things for you to be able to start thinking through how yep, to do that. That's good. And I, I've given this analogy before. Imagine like like I had a big garage that was a, a, a tool shed garage, and, we, and I did woodworking in there. And so if you walk into the garage, there'd be along the walls, there's all these different tools. And so I'm not necessarily going to teach you how to woodwork, but I'm going to introduce you to the garage and all the tools and what they're used for. And in the process, teach you a little bit about woodworking, mm-hmm. but it's more just to kind of give the overview. It's kind of what we're what we're doing what we're doing here. And as always, if you got questions, you can you know email us and, and we'll try to elaborate more. So so with that, the first thing I want to do is I want to recap because one of the things that 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 Zach and I strongly believe in the way the approach that we take with rekindling is this like laying down the foundation. Like what are foundational core concepts that you need to know first? Mm-hmm. Then knowing those, you can build on it with these concepts, etc. So even the way that we've done season three so far, and and we and we already have an outline for like what the next eight or nine episodes are going to be. We actually put a certain order to them, and we're trying to lay the groundwork down. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that's important for me. So if this is if this is your first time listening to a rekindling podcast, someone had recommended it. So you're listening. You haven't listened in. in any of the other ones um know that i'm going to encourage you probably to pause this episode and go back and listen to some of the other ones Mm -hmm. because we're making some assumptions at this point like for example and this i'll get here in a minute in the details of this um we're not going to wrestle a whole lot with why suffering occurs because we already did in the previous episodes so for this episode we're just assuming you know what suffering exists and, and so here's how to deal with it when it comes. So Vicki, you'd mentioned before when we were prepping for this, you know, some people that, you know, you find even they have, they can't get past why the suffering's even occurring. Right. And since they're kind of paralyzed by that, they can't even go through the process. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. So a lot of times it's the, why did this happen? Why? And that prevents the processing of the emotion. And so that's the perfect start go back to the suffering yep and we've and we fully embraced that and so we're not going to tell you well just 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 trust us and assume assume it and listen to the study go back and listen to all these previous ones so for example so the first several um 
episodes for season three was like the foundational, like, you know, what is scripture and then what is hope and heaven mm-hmm. and faith and maturity and love and glory, right? All these big ones. Then we shifted into the next section, the, the kind of the middle section of season three, which is where we are right now. And so we were very meticulous in how we laid all these things out. Mm-hmm. So back in episode 3.09, we did the inner determinism and there's so much right to be said. Um, but basically the, the, I'll, I'll try to recap this as quick as I can. This is just good practice for me. So interdeterminism is figuring the issue that you're trying to figure out is why did something uh, happen the way that it did? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we go back to spectrum all the time. That was back in season one. So go listen to the, to the spectrum lens of, uh, we try to tackle everything from a spectrum perspective instead of like a black and white, all or nothing extreme perspective. And so, so if we drew a little spectrum line and let's say we labeled it from zero to 100, when it comes to why, so determinism, why did something happen? Mm -hmm. There's four basic camps. So one camp would be right around the zero. And and what what we're specifically talking about is the role of divine determinism, um, which is what role did God have in this? Did he cause it or allow it, permit it, whatever. So on the spectrum, a zero, the zero camp would be the more the atheist camp, which would say, well, there is no God, so there is no divine determinism, mm-hmm. so, so there was no God to play a role in this. This happened because of a bunch of other reasons. Then the second camp might be like in the t- teens and 20s on the spectrum, and this is more of a deist or deist camp, which is, yeah, there probably is some sort of God or higher power, but like he set everything up in the world, and then he kind of, st- like a clockmaker, mm-hmm. and then he's just stepping back, and so he's letting the world run. So yes, there's some level of divine determinism, but it's pretty rare, and it's mostly in the past. So then the f- we'll skip to the other end, to the fourth camp. This would be up around 99-100, and this would be more of that absolute um, pervasive d- divine determinism where God actually causes everything. So 100 would say there actually is no human free will or animal free will or anything like that. Just God actually makes everything happen. We're just like robots. Yeah. I don't really know anybody that actually lives at 100. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, so so those are the, th- the three camps. So then the main camp is the inner determinism camp, which would run from like 30 to, to 94 or whatever. And what this camp holds is it's actually a combination of a bunch of different things. So one of the things that we did in the study, and this can get really complex, is we need to understand, that first of all, there is, there's hard determinism and soft deter- determinism. Hard is irresistible. So and you so it doesn't matter what you try yeah. to do, it's going to happen. Soft determinism is influence, um, and then you also have active and passive. So you have active hard, passive hard, active soft, passive soft. You also have then the sources, so divine, mm-hmm. angelic, demonic, human, animal, and potentially chance or randomality if you, if you hold to that. Yeah. Um, and so when you look at all the combinations, what you have is is you have active hard divine determinism, passive hard divine determinism, active soft divine determinism, you know, and you go all the way through. Mm-hmm. So what the inner determinism camp, which is from like said 30 to 90, what they hold to is it's a whole combination of all those things in, in any given scenario, it's some, it's some potential combination of all those. So then within that, because it's such a broad camp, then everyone can vary. So for example, if you're down around the thirties or forties, you would say there's less of the divine hard active determinism and more of all the other stuff mm-hmm. where if you're more up in the eighties, you would say there's a lot of the active hard divine determinism, uh, and, and less of the other stuff. So like personally, I'm probably in the 50 range on that. But one of the things that we discussed in there is it seems like there's not necessarily one correct answer that, that as a Christian, as a Bible believer, Bible believer, 
it probably is that God ranges all up and down that interdeterminist that can't between 30 and, and, and 90, mm-hmm. depending on the person, the situation, the scenario, all that kind of stuff. And so he actually ranges all up and down that. And we humans observe. So I, I observe him in the 50s a lot. So I conclude 50s sure. where someone else observes him in the 90s a lot. So they conclude low 90s, et cetera. Yeah, and I think a lot of times, uh, and even the way we started off when we were planning that podcast is yeah. a lot of times people see that whole discussion as, well, it's either God does this or God does this. Mm-hmm. And like pretty much in Christendom, there's two major camps of how God works. Right. Um, but really would encourage you guys to go back and listen to that one because it just it, it makes so much more sense when you do start seeing some of the complexity. And a lot of the uh, like active hard and passive soft and all the different stuff that Chan just went through is really confusing just hearing for the first time. Right. And especially in like a review format. So I really would encourage you if that's something that you're like, what in the world is he talking about? Go okay. back and listen to that one. Yeah. Uh, it really is worth it. And we still uh, will be talking to people and just uh, if we're in the same room, just kind of look at each other and be like, that was just so like such a cool study mm-hmm. to go through and actually think through in that way. And so it would just really encourage you guys to do that as well. And so, so like the first point that would remind you is it seems that that interdeterminism camp, which is that long com- complex range, that's probably the reality of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to weigh into why suffering occurs, et cetera. Second point is we got into good and actually, so to me, so I'll just say as as quick as I can, but good love and justice. So we've already recorded good and love. We're going to be recording justice soon. Mm -hmm. We have actually found that all three of those overlap. And so with good, um, biblically, you know, it's a four part definition uh, that something is good if it has worth or it's pleasing or it's beneficial or it's moral. It fits within God's parameters. Mm -hmm. And like, so when we say God is good, it's kind of all four of those. Um, But one of the the core points of all that is that that beneficial component. So a lot of times when we talk about good in my mind now, I'm reading, okay, it's something something is good. It's beneficial. Mm -hmm. So then love, of course, is the like, like Vicky, you know, you mentioned that whole study that love is huge. And one of the, one of the major components to love is, um, that, that you desire benefit for the other one. Mm -hmm. And so, and then justice is the making of things right. And so or making of things good or beneficial. So when you put those three together, what you have is, is that God being God, that God is fully love. Um, he wants us to experience all these beneficial goods. And then because he's just, he acts on that and he tries to make those things right. Um, and so, so we wanted to lay that groundwork down that God is good and loving and just, um, and, and you want to, and we come from that. So for us, it's not like because we see all this bad stuff, we question if he's good and, or just, right. we just accept that he's not, we don't, we don't just accept. We worked through all these studies mm-hmm. and really concluded that he is good and just and loving. And we know that. And now that we know that let's handle these issues of suffering, right? Et cetera. Right. Um, and then we had the whole super long one on evil and sin. So that was what, eight, seven, A, B, C, D, E, F, six or seven episodes total. Yeah. Um, and many hours. Seven hours and 45 minutes, I think, total. I think so. Um, and so with the evil and sin one, why well, don't, don't, don't even, if we could recap, it would take us 45 minutes just to recap, mm-hmm. right, the seven hours. Um, but but we, we got into, so what is evil and sin? Mm-hmm. 
that you know it's primarily a turning away from God and or his beneficial goods and secondarily turning to something else that's like detrimental yeah um, and then we got into and then what does sin result in and so this this, this is actually always like I, I recite this to myself hmm. this actually helps me as I'm wrestling through the sin in my life so what does sin cause what does sin result in one thing is pleasure which is why we actually do it. Right, because mm-hmm. it's pleasing to us. So you know, that's why you turn to that bucket, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a second thing is detriment. And so that sin is pleasing, but it's detrimental. It may be detrimental to you. It may be detrimental to somebody else. You may not may not always even see what the detriment is, but we can know that sin is always detrimental. Mm-hmm. Third one is, is that sin is going to prevent certain goods, not all goods. So, for example, if you sin, you still have a relationship with God, though the intimacy may... may um, Falter. Uh, falter and uh, with the static and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, and then, and so those are the main three that all sin results in pleasure, detriment, and a prevention of some goods. Um, and then, potentially, if you keep doing that, it actually spirals down, getting worse and worse and worse, mm-hmm. eventually, um, potentially resulting in, in death. Um, but one of the main points that it plays into, the su- into this study is, is that sin does cause detriment or suffering, which is then going to lead to grieving. So, so it still plays into here. Um, and then another one that we did. Oh, and, we, and with that, we t- we talked a lot about um, God's what what God's response and our response to sin is. I'm not really going to cover that here, um, but it's such an important thing. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that. And I think those were even their own episodes back in uh, 3.11. So I would encourage you guys to like E and F or yeah. D and F or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. And then um, so so then so that then led to episode 3.12, which was the suffering study. And so we went through, um, we mentioned it was, this is more intellectual. We do want to offer some sort of encouragement and hope through it. Mm-hmm. We got into the definition, which we're going to get into here in a moment when we get back to the definition, so we'll cover that in a second. Um, but one of the big things that came from that study was identifying the sources of suffering. Yeah. And so suffering basically breaks down into two categories, God-initiated suffering and others-initiated suffering. And with the God-initiated suffering, um, we saw that he does it um, intentionally, but not, but, but, but reluctantly. Mm-hmm. So this was from Lamentations 3, I think, that it, like, it, it, it bothers him that he has to do it, but it's necessary given whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we, we moved into, um, I think we identified four or five points, and then we've kind of reworded them here for this study into four basic points. Um, but it seems that there are four types of God-initiated suffering, uh, four different reasons that he may do it. So one is it's transformative suffering. Um, Some people might call this a purifying suffering or a discipline or training suffering or a testing suffering. So what this suffering is, is you actually haven't done anything bad. So there's no punishment going here. He's not angry or anything, but he's initiated some sort of suffering to make you stronger. Mm-hmm. So this goes back to that wind sprint analogy that we've discussed multiple times in, in, the, in the series here, that he's making you run wind sprints, not because he's trying to punish you or mad at you, but simply because he's trying to build your lung capacity so that you can run even further or go, go, go four full quarters in the game, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those, it's still rough, right? And going back to sweet and sour from season one mm-hmm. it's still a sour it's a good thing that's that's makes, makes you, you wince yeah. um but it's like okay this this is a this is a wind sprint transformative purifying um type of suffering the second type is a restorative reproof or rebuke suffering so this plays out as like conviction or warning or negative reinforcement and so we just finished um the judgment punishment study in, in a couple months ago and then we're going to be recording it soon so this is a big can of worms. So before that, so I'm kind of spoiler here. Before that study, 
I would say God does not punish you. After the study, I can't say that anymore. And I'll explain that when we do the judgment punishment thing. It was really, really interesting. But the point here is that sometimes God will initiate some sort of suffering as a, as a, a warning, whether it's a mild warning or a severe warning, um, to get you to come back. And so an example here would be, imagine like a dog or a kid is getting ready to run out into a busy street. And, and you're like, hey, right? And you scream real loud. For that dog or that kid, that causes suffering because they're scared by that loud voice. But you were only doing it to, to, right. to get mm-hmm. their attention. Mm-hmm. So, 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 this, so the second type of, of God-initiated suffering um, is that he's, it's always a, a restorative rebuke. So the rebuke is, listen, you're doing wrong. And here's what, what I want right to be. And I want to start first. First of all, I'm just going to tell you ahead of time what right is. And if you do it, great. Um, but if you're not doing it, then I'm going to convict you through the Holy Spirit and through some mild warnings to try to get you to come back. If you don't heed those convictions and mild warnings, then I'm going to get a sterner rebuke and severe warning. And so one of the things, I'm kind of jumping ahead with this, but this was a helpful visual for me. Imagine from like zero to, this. so this is not spectrum, just timeline. You do some wrong. From zero to 90, this is a pattern that we see in Scripture, God is using mild, gentle warnings through prophets or uh, the Spirit convicting or whatever to try to get you back. And, he, and this is his patience, and he's not, he's not resorting to anger. And so from zero to 90, it's just these mild warnings to get you to come back. If by point 90 you haven't come, he's like, all right, we need to up the ante. And so from 91 to 99, he, I mean, he ups the ante, boom, extremely so. And that's these, like, so for example, in the Old Testament, he says, I'm going to bring a pestilence upon you. You have to remind yourself that, that, he's, that the general pattern is he's waited long periods of time for them to come around, and they weren't coming around through those mild ways, and so he ups the ante with famine or sword or pestilence or whatever. Um, but the whole point, though, at that point is still not really like retributive punishment. Um, that's more Gehenna, and we'll get all that stuff in, in a later study. Um, but it's this, just the severe suffering because it's the only thing you'll listen to now. Um, and then by the time, and then that leads to, um, the, a third type, which is, we, we called it permanent or purging, um, suffering, which is basically he removes you from the chessboard. And so we see some examples and where people, he got just strikes them dead. But the idea there is man from zero to 90, I was doing mild warnings and you didn't come around from 91 to 99. I was doing severe warnings and you still didn't come around. So at this point you ain't coming around. And so you're just causing more harm than good. I'm taking you off the board. Um, and so that, that's like, that's, that's like that fire and brimstone. Then there could also be atoning, uh, suffering, which is like sacrificial payment or restitution, which is mainly what Christ did on the cross. That's less for us. That's the whole, we'll get into all that stuff in, in other studies. Anyways, so those were like four of the types of God initiated suffering. Then you have the others initiated suffering, and this could be you yourself <laughs> are causing the suffering, or another person is causing the suffering, keeping in mind that, that their motivation for causing could be just carelessness, could be selfishness, could be malevolent oppression, could be um, others weren't actually stepping in to prevent it. Um, then you could also have spiritual warfare, demonic cause suffering, and then potentially like nature's cause and effect, so thunders or you know tornadoes or whatever. Um, so, so those were the others. And we, we spent a lot more time in that. We're just kind of recapping quickly here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and so then, and then we just touched briefly on, so here's all the different types of suffering. Here's why they occur. And then we discussed briefly how you should respond to that. But we only did it briefly because we knew that we were doing this recording, which was going to be a much more in-depth uh, uh, description of that. Yeah. And so the whole suffering um, 
you can see how these have built on each other, how um, it matters how you view determinism. And is God just doing all these things? Are people doing things? What is your view on that? And that affects how you see good and evil. And that affects how you see suffering. And how you see suffering affects how you're going to grieve and how you're going to process things. And so this is why we went through this in the order we did. And it's also why we would really encourage you guys uh, to listen to all of of these episodes, episodes. um, which isn't just a shameless plug. Um, (laughs) But really do think that it's helpful to see where we're coming from. And especially with the suffering episode, just really exploring that why. Why does suffering here? Uh, which relates back to why is evil and sin, which we yep. talked about in, a, in an earlier episode. But that really is an important question to think through because of what we were saying earlier, that a lot of times you're not going to be able to process things as well as you could if you actually had some of the why answered. Yep. And so really would encourage you guys, to, uh, because we're not going to talk about why in this episode. Right. Uh, we are really picking up on what we have discussed already and moving on to kind of the how and next step type things. And we had, we'd even, we thought about reading it again tonight. We decided just to mention it, but the 66 love letters, um, that if you take Larry Crabb's approach, which I love, but you go through all the books of the Bible and then, and then as you finish each one, you kind of write up like a one sentence summary as if God was talking to you, what he wants you to take away from that book. And so I did this several years ago. And one of the themes that had jumped out is um, one of the goals of this prologue that we're in is to transform you to move you from A to B. So, for example, if A is like the the immature, incomplete you, and B is the complete, mature you, I realize that it, that in heaven we'll all be Bs. And I realize that God, if He wanted to, could have started in heaven with all of us being Bs. But it seems that He purposely started in this temporary, broken prologue with all of us being As, so that we can move from A to B, and it seems that the actual journey and process and transformation from A to B was a beneficial good that he didn't want us to miss out on, right? Um, and so and so, the 66 Love Letters really kind of hammers that point home, and one of the things you find is in that transformation process, one of the things that's needed is actually suffering. Um, now, that's not to say that, like, Okay, so we're totally fine. All suffering is there, so you can mature, so no problem. No, no, no. It's much more complex than that, but that's one of the core elements to all of it. Um, and then we also, and this is also where the prayer study came in, which was the, the last one that we just did, um, and, and the importance of actually praying. So it might be good to to actually go through the grieving study and then go back even and listen to the, to, the, to the prayer study. Maybe actually, I may end up switching that around in the podcast, label them different, but with that later anyways all right so so that's that's some just some quick recaps um you really said it well zach as far as because if you understand this it'll help with this which will help with this which will now get to the grieving study right so do you guys have any questions or comments before we actually get into the material no just to kind of again hit on i can imagine some people listening to this and still really getting caught up in that well why like why is there evil why did this bad thing happen and and again not going to cover that here and and no but all all three of us passionately believe it should be yes or, you know it should it it's needs to, yeah it needs to be discussed it's just this would be an, you know we'd be repeating it'd be another five-hour podcast or whatever so so we acknowledge it um all right so with that let's go ahead and, and get into the stuff now also too we're going to give you a lot of information so one of the things that we try to remind you from time to time as you're listening to the series is don't try to master everything that's said 
um, here in the study because they're probably going to overwhelm you. And so sometimes people, like, like, they listen to this hour and a half or two-hour podcast or whatever it is that we do, and they're like, oh, my goodness, there was so much information. And, and, and they, they try to hold all of it in the process. They drop all of it. Uh-huh. And so we want to encourage people as we go through all this, we're hoping that you find one or two points that that's what you needed to hear because mm-hmm. you're going through some sort of you know grieving process right now or you're helping somebody else that is. Um, and this was the one or two things. And what I say is, is just look for those one or two things and then, and then master them over time and then later come back and listen to the episode again, pick up another one or two, right, and go that way. Mm-hmm. All right. So with all that, um, we're going to go and we're going to get into the study. So w- when we did the, the grieving study, as with all the unpackings, we start first with the languages. Um, and so um, we're going to read off to you here the, uh, the family of words uh, that we used. So, so when I put the study together, um, we're going to just kind of rapid fire these. I wanted to look up all the words in Scripture. We use the, the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, that would seem to touch on the grieving process. Mm-hmm. So we end up looking up um, cry, mourn, and weep. We also looked up tears, comfort, and strengthen. As well as grieve or grief, lament, and sorrow. And wail and bewail and groan and, and also encourage. Because like those were all like those first ones were kind of the crying. But then we realized that, that it would seem that there needs to be an encouraging in the grieving process. So we ended up looking at courage as well. Mm-hmm. We also looked at anguish, console, or sad. And sigh. Sorry and languish. We looked up um, writhe, like you writhe in pain, mm-hmm. and moan and dirge. And then also sullen and sob. And so those were the ones that we all end up using, which was uh, when, we, when we pulled them all together, there ended up being 1,252 mentions of those words. 944 in the Old Testament and 308 in the New. So there was even more in the Old. Um, and then there were some other words that I'd started to research but ended up kind of going on rabbit trails, and so we didn't include them. This would include like woe and alas, weak or tired or weary. Because um, you can see, because we're going to get into that, weak and tired and weary can be a part of, of grieving, mm-hmm. but they end up becoming out kind of their own thing, so we didn't include them here. Um, bitterness or feeling angry or chafed, uh, torment, rebuke, feeling vexed or offended or irritated. These were all the all ones that we did not end up including. And then also the um, evil suffering, hope, and joy all play into this, but we've done unpackings on those already. And we've recorded the unpackings of those already. Yep, so yeah, so you can go back and listen listen to those. Um, so those are the family of words. So then, so then we went and we looked up the actual Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek words. So as always, we give a disclaimer here that we're, we're attempting to pronounce these words correctly, but none, none of us are experts in these languages. Um, so we looked up, so some of the words that we saw in the, in the Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek on these topics, there's a uh, chazik, which means to, to fasten upon or seize or to keep a hold of. It can also mean to prevail or withstand or recover and to repair, strengthen, fortify, help, grow stout, courageous. Now, when we say, what, what does this word have to do with grieving? This is part of that response that you want to hold on to something fast and actually grow stronger through it all. Um, and so, so as we're going through this list, as you're listening, if there's a certain phrasing or word that you hear, and, ooh, that, that resonates. I like that. You know, jot it down in your notes. Mm-hmm. And then uh, also, baka, which is to weep, bemoan, lament, or mourn. All right. So then, nacham means, mm. did I do that good? Yeah, good. Uh, yeah. To sigh, breathe deeply. Um, or by implication, to be sorry, regret, rue, repent of, um, and also to comfort and console. So quick side note on that. There's some verses in in the English, like in Genesis 5, where it says that God regretted that he'd made man. 
And that's always a weird verse in the English. It's like, what do you mean he regretted? Like he made a mistake? God doesn't make mistakes. Well, when I did some research, it's this Nacham word. Um, and so what it means is he, he sighed and breathed deeply um, when he saw all the evil man had done. So it wasn't, so regret's probably not the best translation there. Um, all right, and then um, another word is za'ak. Is that twice? I believe it is. Oh, no, no, look, it's, we're looking at our notes here. Two different numbers, mm, so two different yeah. words. Um, and it, that means to shriek uh, from anguish or danger, to cry out, to call for help, to call, summon, or assemble. There's also chul, which is to twist or twirl, uh, dancing, which uh, it also can mean, which is what this study was more focused on, is writhing in pain, be wounded, or anguish. And then there's amats, which can mean to be alert, courageous to strengthen or fortify so we're going to see this strengthening theme in in the grieving process uh and then a ball means to mourn lament bewail or grieve there's sapad which is to tear the hair beat the breast to lament wail and mourn and yalal to howl well and yell uh dim ah is, is the noun for tears like from weeping shava which is to cry out for help or freedom Ka'as, to be vexed, provoked, angry, indignant, or grieved. Sa'aka is a shriek of cry, uh, shriek or cry of distress or to cry out against. And then another form of the word za'ak, which is a, a plaintive cry for help or lament. Makab, affliction, pain, grief, and sorrow. And by the way, the, the order that we're listing these in is by order of frequency. So like that first word I mentioned, the, the chazik is 288 times. These words that were mentioned right now show up 15 or 16 times in, in the Hebrew. Uh, so you have atzab, which means, oh, so this is another one from the Genesis 5, to be carved or pained, grieved, vexed, or angry. So in that passage where it says that God looked out upon the world and saw that it was wicked in all its ways, and he was grieved and cut to the heart. Hmm. Um, he regretted that he had made man. Those two main words that, that they're using is the, the nacham and the atzab. And so the idea was it carved, it actually pained him hmm. to watch all the evil that man was caused. And because of that pain, he just breathed deeply this huge sigh of just, oh, this is painful. Hmm. Right. Uh, we also looked up yagan which is grief, sorrow, anguish, uh, specifically from affliction. And anak, to, to sigh, groan, or mourn. So you see a lot of repetition, right, and, and all those, a lot of overlap in those words. Mm -hmm. um, and so then with the Greek, we have, um, getting going from most down to f at least mentioned, so this first one's 109 times, but um, parakaleo, which j simply just means to call near or to invite, but then can be used in certain contexts to invoke, beseech, exhort, implore, urge, um, and can also mean to comfort, encourage, or strengthen. We also looked up crazo, which is scream, cry out, or shout, or exclaim. And this really seems to be more out of passion, like more of a general sense, than specifically in grief. Right. All right. The next one is thlipsis, which can mean pressure, affliction, tribulation, anguish, or grief. You say that so naturally. Um, like you're an expert in there. Uh, and then klaio means to sob or wail aloud, weeping as a sign of pain or grief. Paraclesis is to implore, exhort, to comfort, console, or offer solace. Lupeo is to be distressed, sad, grieved, sorrowful, or to be offended. 
and also lupe related sorrow, pain, or grief. And then sterizo means to set fast, to turn resolutely, to confirm, establish, strengthen, make steadfast. Pentheo is to grieve, mourn, or wail, and this can be either the feeling or the act. And dacru means tears. Copto means to chop or cut off or smite something. And so in context with grieving, it means to beat the breast in grief, lament, or mourn. Stenazo is to make in straits, sigh, groan deeply, or murmur. Oh, this is going to be hard. Paramuthium mai, to relate near, encourage, console, or comfort. And then odune means grief, like a, a dejecting grief uh, and sorrow. So, so you see there was a lot of like crying um, that came up there. And what's really interesting, I think, as just as you mentioned how many times they occurred, if you look at the Hebrew, that first one, can you pronounce that again? The first Hebrew? Yeah. Chazik? Uh, yeah. So, and the definition, I mean, so to fasten upon, seize, keep hold of, recover, strengthen, that, that shows up nearly two times more than the, the next one in this, which is to weep, bemoan, and the same thing with the Greek. You know, the one that's actually showing up more is about the strength and an mm. encouraging piece, too. Yep. Which is encouraging. <laughs> um, and so then always in these studies, you know, we look up the family of words, and we look up all the Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, uh, and then we get we pull up the Merriam-Webster and Farlex dictionaries and look up all those definition words to make sure, you know, we're getting a, a greater understanding uh, of what's going on here. And so so using these, these dictionary definitions, grief or to grieve is that poignant... Uh, which means a deeply affecting or painful sadness, sorrow, or distress. It's some kind of deep mental anguish or annoyance. Mm -hmm. And then also pain is an unpleasant feeling. So that can be emotional, mental, or physical, resulting from suffering, harm, distress, injury, disease, etc. And then distress is to mar or cause strain, anxiety, or suffering too. Sadness means to be affected by grief, sorrow, or unhappiness, to be not joyful or discontented. Sorrow is mental suffering, which can be caused by loss, disappointment, or misfortune. It's also uh, regret. Anguish is defined as agonizing or extreme physical or mental pain, torment, distress, or anxiety. Anxiety meaning a state of uneasiness. Dejected means to have be in low spirits or depressed. To regret is to feel sorry, disappointed, distressed, or remorseful about something. To remember with a feeling of loss or sorrow or to mourn. And sorry is feeling regret for some misdeed, feeling or expressing sorrow or sympathy. So, th so that first grouping is like the feelings or emotions that one may experience. Mm -hmm. And so then we, we looked up the words like how that would actually be like the action or expression of those. So to mourn is to feel or express grief, sorrow, or regret. To lament is to demonstrate, express uh, sorrow, mourning, or regret. And to sigh is to exhale audibly, to feel grief or longing or yearning, um, a strong persistent desire, sometimes rooted in sadness or melancholy, or it can be tenderness, compassion, or sympathy. I like that. Um, to moan is, it's, moan is a low, sustained, mournful cry, usually indicative of sorrow, pain, or grief. To groan is to voice a deep, inarticulate sound as of pain, grief, displeasure, annoyance, or strain. And to cry is to utter loudly, to shed tears, often noisily, as a result of a strong emotion, such as sadness, grief, or joy. To weep means to shed tears or to express grief or anguish. To wail is a long, loud cry in grief, sorrow, or fear. 
And then this last section is like how one might respond to somebody who's grieving. And so, so the first one here, solace, is to comfort, console, cheer, allay, or assuage in sorrow, misfortune, or distress. And comfort means to soothe, calm, bring relief to, to ease the grief, pain, distress, anxiety, or trouble of, to give strength and hope to, cheer. To console is to allay or alleviate the sorrow or grief or sense of loss of someone. And so to allay, alleviate, or assuage is to reduce or lessen the intensity or burden of, to calm, satisfy, appease, or set to rest. To cheer means to instill with hope, courage, or gladness and happiness, to make one of good spirits. To encourage is to hearten or inspire with hope, courage, confidence, or spirit. Uh, It can also be to stimulate, spur, urge, or give support to, to foster growth or development. To strengthen is to increase the strength of capacity or power to make changes or bring results. Uh, And to fortify means to strengthen and secure or give endurance to, whether that's morally, mentally, physically, etc. And resolute means marked by firm determination, unwavering, and boldness. So so those are all the initial wordings, right? The Hebrew, the Greek, the dictionary definitions, etc. And so like you said, Vicki, there's, you know, there's definitely this lamenting and crying component to it, but there's also this strengthening and comforting, encouraging component to it, and that was kind of cool to see. So some of our, our initial observations right from the get-go or right up front is that so the, the kind of like what's going on here one there's some suffering affliction loss distress etc that occurs right some form of suffering um and then that that results in some deep pain anguish sorrow grief maybe even feeling offense vexation or bitterness and it's often mourned and expressed through deep sighing groaning crying loud wailing or writhing And then the third thing was in need of being near to others to receive comfort and consolation, some lessening of the pain or the burden, and being strengthened and holding fast to such things as hope and joy. So that was that was kind of cool even right from the get go. So you have you have some sort of suffering, distress, whatever word you want to use occurs. And that suffering, that distress results in some sort of pain, anguish, etc. That results in some sort of lamenting, mourning. And then there's some need of community with others for comfort, strength, and encouragement. And that's kind of like a duh, but it was cool to see that just in the wording alone. Right? So, so those are the original wordings. So then, then, as always, as we go through the studies, then we actually go through all, all the, um, the scripture things. So like we went some of the stuff that we already mentioned with the unpackings. I brought that up to the group so they knew what good and evil and mm-hmm. all that jazz. Um, so all, with all that in mind, then we dived into all the scriptures, those 1,259 verses or whatever, uh, looking through all of it. And so, and also with this one, we didn't do just scripture. We also did like clinical or psychological research mm-hmm. that I wanted to bring that component in as well. So I had actually had talked to Vicki about some of her experiences. Um, and then we, she gave me some resources. I talked with uh, some other friends of mine, one of my good friends, Candy, her mom uh, is like a grief uh, counselor and so she gave me some great resources so shout out to her to her as well um, anyways so so what we're going to present to you now is what what we found now I remember back last fall sometime I was having dinner with a friend of mine Sabrina 
And we were talking about, um, well, talking about a lot of stuff, but one of the things that came out was just like depression and sadness. And so we just, as we were talking it out, we were kind of, I drew this little, this little diagram out on the napkin at this Mexican restaurant. Um, and I'm like, Ooh, this, there's something to this. And we both agreed, you know, we liked it. And I think I'd even called you up Vicky and had kind of showed you a little bit and you're like, yeah, maybe, you know, it's something to that. Right. Um, we need to explore that further. But anyway, so, so when we did the study, I presented that to them. Um, and they're like, Oh, we like this. Let's see if the scripture would back this up, but it did. And so, and so what we're going to present to you now is, is trying to create this visual of like understanding this grieving and recovering process. Mm -hmm. And so the, the four corner table end up turning into a, uh, to a, to a five cornered. Mm -hmm. So, so I'm going to try to explain this. It's kind of hard without having a visual and the whiteboard. Um, we've talked about maybe recording these podcast with video down the road so we can kind of draw some of the stuff out we'll see but so i want to try to at least verbalize this oh actually the first thing i want to do is um come up with the, the concluding definitions that we had and so we end up having three core things suffering grieving and recovery and so we're going to give the the definitions of, of each of those and, and these i really like these definitions i think i think they go a long way mm -hmm. so so given everything that we've been all these research that we've been doing etc what is a definition of suffering Suffering is any uh, is a, a, any degree of loss, damage, or pain that leads to mental, emotional, and or physical brokenness, anguish, or weariness. So the key there is suffering is any form of loss, damage, or pain. Whatever the source, whatever mm -hmm. the degree, that all varies. But it's any loss, damage, or pain. Or loss, I'm sorry, difficulty. Loss. Uh, that's that's wrong. Loss, difficulty, or pain. Because damage and pain to me was kind of the same thing. So any loss, difficulty, or pain. And then we also came up with a definition for grieving, which basically has three parts. Honestly feel, expressively mourn, and slowly release the pain that's caused by suffering. So I'll say that again. Honestly feel, expressively mourn, and slowly release the pain caused by suffering. And so one comment I'll make on that. We got encouraged as we went through the study of how quick everyone cries in the Bible. Uh, and so a couple of people made the comment, they're like, man, the Bible would seem to really emphasize you should cry. And so it's like, mm -hmm. you shouldn't deny the feeling. We're going to come back to more of that again later on. So that's why that, that honestly feel is let yourself feel that pain and then expressively mourn it. And, and so someone's like, what if that was just the cultural thing? And then our culture is different now. It seems that it's more than a cultural thing. It's a human thing. It's God's intent that we actually do that. And so our culture is actually wrong to not expressively mourn as much as we do. So the next one, um, recovery is the definition here. After or in the midst of suffering, the process of moving to restoration and a glorifiedness. So um, what does that mean? You wrote the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so you had asked the question, right, as we're prepping for this. What, yeah, what does that yeah. mean? So glorifiedness, weird word. So this, this piece here, I'll take a second to touch on this. And I mentioned to you guys that a lot of times when we do an unpacking study, we come across like a weird thing or a new thing that we're not familiar with. And it's weird. We don't know how to process it. <clears throat> and sometimes there's just like one little mention, so we just kind of leave it to the side. Other times, though, that weird new thing keeps coming up again and again and again in the unpacking. So a lot of times we'll find ourselves just kind of laughing. It's like apparently this is a thing. We need to wrap our mind around this. And it's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. Um, but because we, for weeks and weeks and weeks that we're doing the unpacking and we're going through all these scripts, all these verses keep repeating this, you end up coming to grips with you. Okay, I need, I need to embrace this. But then when you leave the unpacking group and you try to explain this to somebody else, they're like, what? <laughs> right? They don't understand it. And so that, this is one of those things. One of the things that we found, we'll get more into this later, is that suffering can produce uh, glory in the victim. 
What does that mean? If you go back to the glory study, glory study that we did, you know, glory means a resplendent heaviness. And the idea there is it's some sort of substantiveness, right? Some sort of value, worth, strength, power, a number of different things. Well, and the resplendent you said was glowing, bright, and shining. Yep, multicolored even. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea is, is when one is glorified, it means that one is becoming more resplendently heavy. So even like Moses coming off the mountain with a glow, um, and the idea of no pain, no gain. Um, Paul mentions this actually in several of his letters. It seems that there's this idea that it's not the only thing. Like it's, it's not just this one-to-one thing of suffering produces glorification. That's all you need to know. It's, that's not true. It's much more complex and broad than that. But one of the things that we did keep coming up again and again and again is that at least to some extent, in some way, depending on how well you're responding and what type of suffering it is and all that kind of thing. There's some element of, by the time this is all done, what did you say in the practice? This is not necessarily the goal, but it is going to be one of the results. Yeah. For like grieving in general? or Well, well yes, for, for suffering in general. And so the idea is, is that if one is grieving well, that they're going to become, there's going to be an increase in their resplendent heaviness, mm-hmm. like one of the benefits, I guess. So I don't, I don't want it to make it just sound like a, this pat little answer of, hey man, suffering you know, glorifies you, therefore go do it. That's true, but there's more going on there. But that's kind of what we mean by that. And I would, I would say with the, the recovery piece, so for those who might be listening who, um, it, so my, my specialty is in trauma and PTSD, and I actually get the question a lot about, well, can I recover from this trauma? You know, I saw my buddy you know, blown up, I was raped. My kid committed suicide in front of me. Anything along those lines, yep. and there's always a question of like, can you really recover from that? And do the memories go away? No. Um, but in terms of how you experience the, the feelings and relating to people, like recoveries can totally be possible. Um, and this process that Shannon's laid out here through scripture and biblical lays out yeah. lays it out. So let me let me try to explain this. So what we, what we end up drawing out, and maybe if you're taking notes as you listen to the series, you can do this. Draw out a pentagon, this five-sided like table. And so this is the, t- the table of suffering. So anytime that any sort of suffering occurs, for whatever reason, whatever the cause, whatever the degree, all that stuff, you get brought to this table. And this table of, of the suffering, uh, of the pain that you feel, uh, across the board, there's brokenness, there's pain, there's a weariness that comes from that, that you feel wasted mm-hmm. or you feel dry or drained. There's an anguish. So regardless of all the details, it seems that across that board, any, to whatever degree, there's some sort of brokenness, pain, whatever. So one of the cool things that we really liked about this um, was in, imagine, so what you do is you land on one of the corners. So I'm going to try to explain this as visual as best as I can. So, so you have this big five-sided table. So you have the five corners. Each corner has like a pool of water. And so when, when some sort of suffering happens to you or to a loved one and you're now in the grieving process or whatever, you're feeling the pain, you get brought to this table and you end up landing in one of the corners, like it's ankle-deep water. And, and I think... You might land in more than one corner. I mean, we'll explain them all in a minute. And so the idea here is, is so you're in this ankle-deep uh, little pool of water in each of these five corners, and so you land in one or more of them. And and each of these are actually good. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to elaborate in a moment what each of these are. Mm-hmm. But then because it's on the edge of the corner, 
um, the goal that we'll explain here shortly is actually to move to the middle of the table. And in the middle of the table, there's this rope ladder of recovery, is what, is what we're calling it. Um, and so the idea is, is the, the suffering triggers you to this table in one, of those, one or more of those corners. And then, and then the best, healthiest process is to move to the middle where that rope of the, la- the, ro- the ladder rope, rope ladder, <laughs> of recovery is and you climb up that rope ladder of recovery back to the restoration and, and some sort of glorification, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not what automatically happens. That's not the default response of humans. Yeah. The default response is, is once you land in the corner is actually to drop off the edge of the corner. And so imagine from each of those pools of water in the corner, um, there is like a, like a stream or a river that pours off of that and it gets deeper and, and a swifter yeah. and a stronger current. So you could almost picture this either like a table or like a mountain. And there so there's these better. different pools of water uh, that start off ankle deep and then as they start running down, it just gets it bigger and faster yep. and all the rest. And, and then what happens is, I like that, so, so you're coming down the mountain slope there with those, those rivers. Um, the, the, the faster the current, the stronger the current is, the harder it is to get out of there. And eventually results in some really bad things. And so this would be kind of a degree thing. And so, so, so that was the visual, it was that human nature, you land to, the, to the, the ankle deep corners, and that's great. These are good components of the grieving process. And what you want to do is move towards the middle, not allow yourself to move down that river, which, but the, what the default of human nature is, is to move down the river. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to get into, that's easier said than done. We want to be careful of our language of just don't do it. Sometimes it's almost impossible not to, given the way our brain's wired. Mm-hmm. Um, but we want to create the visual. So with that, one corner is concerned. So, so the suffering happens and now you're concerned. That's good. It's good to be concerned about whatever the suffering was. But if left unchecked, that concernness can lead to worry, which eventually can lead to some sort of like paralyzing fear. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you don't want to go down that, those sections of the water. Another one of the corners is sadness. And again, feeling sad about the suffering. That's great. But if, if left unchecked or not being intentional, that, st- that sadness can end up leading to some sort of depression or despair even, or eventually potentially suicide. And we're not saying that if one feels sad, there's a danger of you're committing suicide. But knowing that that is a path that we can see people take as that river, that current takes over, where they were sad about something, it moved in, or maybe they jumped right to the depression. Um, then that led to despair and kind of giving up, and then eventually you know, they, they committed suicide. Um, then the third corner is there's a, a lack of understanding. So what this is, is you just, so the suffering occurred and you don't know why. So there's just, I don't know the answer to why this occurred. But again, depending on a variety of different circumstances, that may lead into confusion or even like some sort of misunderstanding where you, you misrepresent what caused it. Oh, I think this caused it um, because that makes more sense to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually that could move into actually creating a whole false reality uh, around why that suffering occurred as a coping mechanism. So one of the things I told you guys beforehand was, you know, let's say like, um, some guy is arrest, arrested and it's proven beyond shadow of a doubt that he had like raped and molested and killed like 16 women. And somebody in the media finds this guy's mom where she lives and so they go to interview her. And the mom um, like pretty much denies that it happened, that her son didn't do that, you know, and it's just like she refused, even though like the proof is there, DNA, video, whatever. I think before this study, I would have looked at that mom and been like, are you crazy? Like, why are you trying to deny 
something that this is the mm-hmm. horrible thing your son did. Now what I realize is it's probably a coping mechanism that she could not figure out a reason why her son did that. It started with that lack of understanding. Mm-hmm. And, and the brain likes, the, the rational part of the brain likes to come up with reasons why things occurred. And so she may have just concocted this false reality to explain away what happened. Not necessarily to try to protect her son, but just because that was part of her coping mechanism. Now, should she create a false reality? No, but it helped me show a little more patience with her in that. So that, that's, that's the third, uh, third corner in River. The fourth one is discontent, which, again, is another good thing. You should not be content right, right with the mm-hmm. suffering that occurred. But if, if left unchecked, that discontent can lead to frustration, which can lead to resentment or bitterness or complaining, which can then trigger into anger and even wrath. Um, and then the fifth, the fifth corner is uh, disconnected feelings. And so the, the suffering happens, and you just don't have any feelings associated with that because mm-hmm. um, you're, you're, you haven't been able to process it initially. And again, that's fine in the initial moments. But if, if not dealt with, that could actually lead to some sort of numbness, which eventually could, could result in like some sort of severe apathy yeah. um, or even like, like, like a psychotic type of apathy to all of that. So you had mentioned something on that um, as far as the numbness and, and uh, as a protection element. Can you, uh, Vicki, on that? Sure. Yeah, just um, this is one of the symptoms we see with PTSD, just feeling really detached and disconnected. And, um, you know, trauma and um, itself uh, evokes feelings of vulnerability. And mm. a lot of times, and this is none of these things are, I mean, my argument is that none of these are conscious decisions, but um, that, I agree with that people, t- you know, if feeling really vulnerable is pretty scary. Nobody likes to really be there. And so as a way to kind of protect against that, if people kind of put up walls and then they become, you know, numb, they're not going to be hurt again. And then that becomes, you know, disconnected from your spouse, your kids, you know, people in your life. Yeah. So, so this is why I like this analogy and this visual so much, Mm -hmm. because you're going to see yourself and others all the time in the rivers. And, and you don't want to be in the rivers. And a lot, I, I fully agree with you that it's, it's probably on a subconscious level that they got there. Um, and they didn't know any other way. And so now what I realize is, man, you really need to show some compassion and some patience um, and some understanding with these individuals that they're only responding the way that they're wired to or the way that they've known and learning how to try to counter that in more tangible ways with this rope of recovery that we're, we're about to, to get into. So what do you guys think of that? analogy visual explanation yeah i think that it's really helpful and especially uh just kind of what you were just saying with recognizing where other people are at and kind of seeing and understanding more because i think we all have our own um area where we tend to go right so like for me i tend to be more disconnected and um not really display emotions and that sort of thing uh when i'm grieving and that sort of thing and so that's where I tend to go. And it's easy to just move straight on down to just numbness, apathy, just, uh, and I also think that that goes well with lack of understanding a lot of times, like why would this happen? Um, and just like almost not really recognizing that, but, uh, it's just interesting to see how some of these rivers really play together and also recognizing, uh, like the example of the woman whose, uh, son did this horrible thing and mm-hmm. she's like, Oh no, that didn't happen recognizing that no that's just where she tends to be right and so helping that really um as you're trying to be more empathetic towards others recognizing that they're not just where they are in that river because 
they want to be there or that's right. our thing. Like that's just where they've ended up and we need to actually be willing to help them Yep, and recognize that that's where they are and we all need to be working our way back up. Meet them and, where they are. Yeah. And, and yeah. so I think that that's just really helpful in seeing these different ways that it can play itself out yeah. in order to really be helping. So one thing you can do is you can ask yourself, which corner do I frequently go to? So you mentioned the, probably the most common one for you is the the disconnected. Yeah. Vicky, what would you say for you? Uh, just, for me, it would definitely be, I think, sadness. Yeah. Um, and I think, so kind of the thing I took away uh, or I was thinking about it is th- kind of jumping on what you were saying about looking at where other people are. Some of these are kind of as the comforter or the sort of per- person that's walking along the side of the griever, it's a little bit easier to be with something. Well, it gets, depends on who you are. But for me, it's a little bit easier to be with somebody who's like sad um, rather than somebody who's like um, frustrated or bitter or mm. wrathful. And I know we've talked about anger as well. And yep. um, But I often, I mean, and I, I talk about this a lot, is that anger is often an easier emotion to feel. It's sort of often at the surface and then underneath that because it's less vulnerable than feeling right. afraid and things like that too. Yep. And so kind of if you are seeing somebody that's, you know, you're with somebody that's angry, recognizing that there's probably something underneath that too. And I hadn't thought about that until you just said it. It seems that you're probably more comfortable with those that land in the same corners that you land in. Mm-hmm. And that would seem to make sense. For sure. Yeah. For me, it's the anger one. Mm-hmm. And I think so one of the takeaways that I had from the study was, wait a minute. So my anger might be a sign that I'm grieving something. I had mm-hmm. never thought of that before. And we'll get more into that later. But but I thought that was really that was really interesting. Um, so the idea here is, is that you can identify which corner do you tend to land in? And it may be, it depends on the form of the suffering. Mm-hmm. So this form of suffering, I get angry, this form of suffering, I get sad, etc. And you will always, you don't just always land in one corner. You might land in several. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause with that, like me, when I'm driving, yeah. I don't, uh, be dis- I'm not disconnected when someone yeah. cuts me off. Yeah, I'm angry. angry. Yeah. And so just <laughs> real connected to that. Um, but just recognizing, like you just said, just a quick little example of that, that depending on the circumstance and what caused the suffering, it can affect it as well. And I also want to sort of acknowledge that we're, I, I think going back to what you said at the beginning, we're talking about this from a more intellectual perspective. Um, and I can just imagine the listener right now who is in the midst of a depressive episode and listening to this and just sort of for, and, and because I've been there too, like I know when I'm there and I can look at it and go like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be depressed mm-hmm. and I don't want to be anxious. I don't, and, and that hating where you are i mean it's a tricky thing it's a tricky thing to balance because we want to sort of move towards restoration but at the same time hating the state that you're in is not helpful don't be depressed well i'm depressed so now i'm just depressed that i'm depressed or don't be anxious well you know and so that just becomes a a slippery slope yeah because i've gotten angry that i get angry yeah yeah so we don't yeah we want to be careful the language that we use this is something we discussed beforehand Mm -hmm. i'm just trying to be careful with that um, so yeah, so, so we want to encourage you that that's like, oh, wow. Okay. So I land in this corner that, and that's just, again, the corner itself is good. Um, and the default is actually to go down the river. And so one of the things that we want to try to do preemptively with this, this episode is what can I do to try to be more preemptive with that, knowing that I may still end up in the river, but if I end up in the river, then, okay, then, then how do I get out of it? You know, et cetera. Yeah. Cause I was just reminded by what you were just saying of. Uh, a video that I saw and it was, I don't remember what it was, but some old like Saturday night live or something. And it was a counseling session and the person comes in and the guy's just like, okay, yeah, five minutes go explains her problem. He's like, stop it. 
but no, you don't understand. It's, no, stop it. Oh, I've seen that. Stop it. Just stop it. And that's what we do a lot of times, either to ourselves or to others. We're just like, well, just stop. Just don't be sad. Just don't stop being angry. Just stop it. Yeah, don't worry, be happy, do all this, you'll be fine. Um, and actually recognizing that it is more complicated than that. Yep. And it's a whole lot harder uh, than we a lot of times would even want it to be to yep. not be where we are and start moving back up. So this brings up, and you re- you guys referenced it be- before the recording, um, Muddy Fields, which is from season two, Know They Self. So go back and listen to that episode on Muddy Fields and Weaknesses. Um, depression may be a muddy field. It, it may be one of those core things that you just struggle with, and so... It's always going to be the default, and then and then you got to work through what does that mean practically, et cetera. Um, so we, we want to we totally want to acknowledge that. So so the idea here is so so you land on this mountain, this five corner mountain, and one and one or more of those corners, and you experience those things and angle deep. That's good. The goal is is to begin moving towards the middle to that 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 uh, rope ladder of recovery. And so, so we want to we want to walk you through some steps. So it seems like step one. We we learned this both from the scripture component research we did and the, the psychological and clinical. Um, you don't want to walk it alone. Uh, man was not meant to grieve alone. And so one of the things we saw is, of course, we you know we as followers of, of Jesus who've drank the Jesus Kool Aid really believe that, that first and foremost you should be walking with God on mm-hmm. this. Um, and so one one little note on that is if you're mad at God. Uh, or frustrated, or you've distanced yourself from him, or you put him on trial for this, of course you're not going to walk with him. And so this goes back to all these things we're talking. We can't discuss it in this episode, but need to understand that God grieves when you grieve. Um, and they, well, if God grieves when I grieve, why didn't he stop it? Well, that gets back to interdeterminism and all those things. And yet, so that's why it's so foundational to kind of wrap your mind around that stuff first. Mm-hmm. Um, but that he does grieve and, and he wants to walk with you on this. Um, and that's really, really helpful. And so, so kind of step one, once you've, you, once you've been triggered to this mountaintop in these corners, is walk with others and so this could also it's walk with god it could be walk with uh, other loved ones family and friends it could be walk with counselors or other skilled and qualified people mm-hmm. uh, i recommend everyone go to go to counseling mm-hmm. i've actually thought about maybe going back this year <laughs> just to kind of hash out some stuff um but so you want to walk you don't want to walk alone don't do this alone um and but don't just find the next person on the street and let them walk with you in the grieving process because they, they may not be skilled for that or they may not have compassion on you you know yeah and one other note with um just putting god on trial one thing that i've really been encouraged with is that god can handle our honesty though and Absolutely. so you don't Absolutely. want to um be just constantly questioning god just like why are you doing this this is your fault all of the rest um but it is actually okay to be honest with him yep, and absolutely. say, you know what? I really think this is your fault. And I think that you're doing this to me. And then pray and listen. And listen to him say, I am doing this. This is why. Or, no, this was actually something else. Yep. And just going through that process, we don't want you to think, oh, well, uh, I'm kind of frustrated with God, so I'm just going to sit here. And I'm just going to wait until I figure this all out mm-hmm. by myself. And then I'll try the God thing after I'm done with that. That's not going to work. What no. We're not saying um, just avoid God if you think it's his fault, that sort of thing. No, go to him. Talk to him. He can handle your honesty. Yep. And once you start having that conversation, you'll be able to actually move forward. And that even just starting that conversation is going to start rebuilding that intimacy. And, and this, this is why prayer is important, which was the previous episode mm-hmm. of this one. And so go back to listen to what prayer actually includes and entails and is and results in. Um, it, goes, it goes a long way. I know that, um, you know, I was telling you earlier today, uh, 
So last year I got really mad at God. I was really angry with him. And I was actually, you know, I, I can, from my bartending days, I can cuss like a sailor when I'm angry. And I was actually cussing God out. And even as I was doing it, I'm like, I probably shouldn't be cussing the creator of the universe. I was just so, I, mean, I was like, I was wrathful. It was like, like a state of drunkenness. It was just, just, that's where my brain was. And so after the fact, and I calmed down. And like you said, like you said, Zach, kind of listened to God. And he was explaining some things. No, it was, it was this. You just, you had, you had the distorted thinking, which we're going to get to in a second. Um, here's the reality of it all. And so I was like, okay, cool. God, I appreciate all that. Um, by the way, you know, uh, I probably need to address the elephant in the room and, you know, me, me cussing you out and all that. And I felt like God was telling me in prayer, I was like, like, listen, son, I have the thickest skin in the universe. And remember that I am love. And from 1 Corinthians 13, love is not irritated. And so I don't let mm-hmm. myself get offended by that. Um, I knew that eventually you were going to come around. So I was willing to endure and be patient, uh, persevere through your, your little petulant tirade. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not... I'm not pissy at you, you know, um, everything you're saying, I, I, we're here, we're talking, right? Um, you, and I, you and I are good with this. And then he said, now, having said that, don't do that again, you know? And it was just this, but it was just a great balance. I just really appreciated kind of that conversation. So, um, so that leads, so, so step one, once you've landed on the, on the, on the mountaintop there in the corners, is to begin moving your way towards the middle with other people by your side, God and, and others. Step two is to begin to see more clearly, um, to see more rightly, to see more truly, whatever phrase you want to use. And what this is, is the human nature is to not see things clearly anyways. We just have a distorted view of things. And when suffering occurs, I think that that view can get even, that perspective can get even more distorted because of the pain. And even like just psychologically the way the brain works and all that. And so you need to kind of just accept the fact that when, when you or loved one experiences suffering and you're grieving through that, it's pretty much a guarantee you're going to have some distortion in your perspective. And you need to try to figure out where that distortion is as best as you can. Now, one of the things I, I like to say is you want to try to figure out what the source, what, what is the source of the suffering and why, because that will actually play into the recovery process. So, for example, if going back to the God initiate, if this was a God initiated transformative suffering, well, now you know it's wind sprint. So he's not mad at you. You haven't screwed up anything. He's just trying to put you through some tough training to make you stronger. So go through the tough training and get stronger. Where if it was more of that rebuke uh, suffering that you have been doing wrong, he's trying to warn you away from that. Well, now that you know that, you can figure out what the wrong was and try to turn away from it, right? So it's really helpful to identify what type of suffering and what source is. I also want to say a lot of times you will not figure that out that the way life works, sometimes it can't be figured out. It can't be um, um, discovered or whatever. So so I want to say try to, especially if it's God-initiated. That would seem to be more likely you could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, try to do that uh, to see what that source is because that can really be helpful. And then just overall recognize what's my distorted thinking that's causing problems here and how can I get rid of that distorted thinking. Yeah, and I think it's just important to uh, just to reiterate what you just said. You're not going to find the answer every time and a lot of times we want to and we don't want to really start moving through any of the grieving process and just working through things until we know why this happened and a lot of I don't even know if I want to say a lot of the time just some of the times you will be able to figure that out and it will be clear you'll be able to say yep this is why and then you can move forward but you also need to be willing to just recognize that you're not going to know and that you are going to need to rely on Christ through it, 
which you need to rely on Christ regardless anyway. Um, just number one, walking and trusting in God. Um, but you need to be willing to work through things with him instead of trying to rely on your own understanding. And that just is something that's really important. And I just wanted to reemphasize. Yeah. And Vicki, you've talked before about the, the problems of distorted thinking. Right. I mean, pretty much any mental illness will have distorted thinking kind of as a, a symptom. And, and so just kind of the clinician in me wants to say like, not just like, Oh, think straight. You're, you'll be fine. Here's a list of cognitive distortions. Go study that. And you're good. Like this is something that takes like months and months and years and years, especially for if the person who's grieving, like depending on their developmental history, if they were given those messages that right. you're not good enough, you know, you'll never do anything right. Um, you're worthless. Like those are things that take, so much time to overcome yep. um, and sort of studying scripture, but it's not going to be overnight. And given the, dis- the nature of distorted thinking, you, typically you won't know that it's distorted. Right. Exactly. Which is why. Yeah. Help. <laughs> and that, yeah, that's why that, that first step is important. So walk with others, try to see more clearly as best as you can. And then that enables you to then step three, begin to climb the rope ladder of recovery. Now, what I like about this, the reason when we call it the rope ladder of recovery, originally I had just in my head, I just pictured kind of a rope that you were climbing up out of. Um, but then I realized that, and we're going to get here in a minute, there's actually like rungs, there's different components. I mean, ooh, the ladder thing works better. So I'll, it's a ladder that you climb. But then we, I realized that like, if it was just say a solid wood or metal ladder, you just stably climb up it. But imagine if it was a rope ladder where there's less stability and it's twisting around, you know, the wind's blowing, et cetera. I'm like, ooh, that's probably more accurate with what the recovery process looks like. And so it was more than a rope, but not quite just its own ladder. So we said, ooh, it's a rope ladder, right? So I really like that. Um, Now, so before we get into the rungs, one other thing I wanted to say is the importance of flight, fight, persevere. So this was a, a lens that we, we did in, episode, in season one, so that you can go back and listen to that. The short uh, explanation of flight, fight, persevere is that biblically, whenever there's some sort of suffering or affliction that goes on, it seems there's three potentially good options. One option would be to flee, which, which means that the bad itself is continuing on, but you've gotten away from it. You've distanced yourself mm-hmm. from that source of suffering or affliction, and, you, and you're no longer a part of it. That's flee. Fight is you stay right where that, that uh, affliction and suffering is occurring, but your goal is to fight it and defeat it and get rid of it so that that suffering is not occurring for you or anybody else, and you overcome and defeat it. And then the third one is persevere. And what persevere is, is, and this is very unpopular, but it's to actually stand there in the midst of the suffering and let the suffering happen and then get stronger through that. And so this it's the idea, we won't go into all of it now, but it's the idea of letting things take advantage of you externally, but never internally. So it's different than just like rolling over and dying. Mm-hmm. And so it's not always popular because... Um, who wants to actually persevere right mm-hmm. now? And, and what, what I like about the flight fight persevere lens is you can't say this is the right one. It just flat out. It depends on the situation, depends on where you're at, what God's got going on, et cetera. So the idea is whenever you're going through some sort of suffering or affliction, you ask God, God, is this a flight fight or persevere? Do you want me just simply to get away from it? It may continue, but I'm not around it anymore. Do you want me to fight it and do my part and actually like uh, ceasing 
the, the cause of that? Mm-hmm. Or do you want me to persevere and actually endure it um, because there's other factors going on? It does seem that biblically the default answer is persevere. Now, when I do these studies, people like to always bring up extreme examples and, you know, well, what about this? You were supposed to pers- persevere that? No, I mean, don't bring up extreme examples, right? Um, not, not at least right off the front. Yeah. Let's work through this entire thing first, come to grips with all of it, and then we can adjust it. But the idea is, is let God tell you, you know, kind of what he wants you to do. So with this here, you could almost imagine, now, I wouldn't say there's three rope ladders, one for fight, flight, and persevere, but rather, rather what I would say is imagine like, um, you know, imagine that, that rope ladder is kind of like, you know, it's, it's anchored to the ground and it's anchored up to the top and it's kind of spinning and there's like three fields. So there's like a stormy field and then like a pleasant field and then like a battle. And so the stormy field is just the, was the perseverance and the pleasant field is the flea and then like the battle is the, is the fight. Um, We can't make a universal statement here because this is totally going to vary based on you and the factors and everything else. But the idea being whether you are supposed to fight or flee or persevere through, you still want to climb this rope ladder. And so so this, this recovery rope process will look a little bit different depending on whether you're fighting or fleeing or persevering sure. the rope ladder itself is still there so we're not we could go in a ton of like what that might look like i'm not going to do it for the episode here we're just going to i just want to bring that point up right mm-hmm. so given that let's get into um the 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 rungs of the uh um rope ladder of recovery so what i like about this there's 10 rungs Does this mean there's only 10 rungs? No. These were 10 that we learned through the study. There might be other ones out there. Mm -hmm. But what I really, really like about this is there's no one correct order. That's another reason why I like this this ladder analogy. That depending on who you are, depending on the suffering that you're you're going through, there might only be three of these rungs that you you need. Maybe you need all ten. The order may vary, mm-hmm. and so so as and we're gonna we're gonna the three of us now are gonna go through and explain to you each of these rungs. Keep in mind, it is not automatically required for the recovery process, and it is not the automatic order that one should go through. It's just yeah. here's the ten rungs. We do have some logical order that we're gonna put them in, mm-hmm. um, but that it may actually vary where where you're at. And this first one kind of fits into that idea of there is a logical order to some of these depending on the type of suffering because the first one that we have here is repenting. And so I think it's helpful to have a definition of that. And so basically what repentance is is it's changing uh, how you're thinking and how you're acting to align with God's beneficial parameters. And so if... Uh, for example, you are suffering because you caused the suffering on yourself because of sin. Repenting would probably be a good first step <laughs> in moving through this process. Yep. Um, it just makes sense that if it's because of your sin, you should change your thinking and your behavior to agree with God. And that seems to be a good starting point. Yep. Is that necessarily always going to be the starting point? That's where the flexibility comes in here. Right. Not necessarily. But it may be one of the first questions you ask yourself. So the way the way that we're going to do these 10, we're going to do two that may happen depending on situations. Then we're going to do six that seem to be these six are probably the most frequent ones regardless of the type of suffering. And then we'll finish with two more that may may occur right so the next one is something may or may not um but so potentially to trans be transformed um so if it's relevant potentially enduring the trial learning a lesson and growing and maturing as the trial intends yep so this goes back to that wind sprint analogy so if if you're actually because because you do suffer when you do wind sprints Right. right so if you're doing wind sprints 
you know, go through the suffering process, but go ahead and run the rinse sprints. So if you're in a job, I mean, if you're, if you're suffering or your grief is through being in a job where your boss takes advantage of you and I mean, not, not physically or, but but like in terms of, you know, you know, rude to you and things like that. I mean, that might be a persevere and potentially what the trial you're learning through that trial is that you're supposed to be transformed through it. Yep. Yeah, which we don't always like, but it's possible. All right, so then the next one is the grieve rung. And so we've talked about it already. We, we, we give the definition. It's that, you know, to honestly feel expressively mourn and slowly release the pain caused by suffering. So you want to allow yourself to grieve, to mourn, to cry, to lament. Some of the people in the group, this was their favorite point because they felt, oh, I have permission now, like really good, awesome, solid, wise permission to allow myself to cry. Because, you know, I always kind of joke, but I think it's true, God gave us tear ducts for a reason. And so when you're coming through suffering, let yourself grieve it. Now you may, depending on your personality type, you may grieve it in different ways, but you want to allow yourself to honestly feel that pain and then expressively mourn it, however you want to expressly mourn it, um, and, and let that slowly kind of release the pain that's caused by the suffering. Uh, and keep in mind, by the way, with spectrum. So one extreme is don't cry at all. The other extreme would be, you know, some let's say you're a six-year-old that cries for five hours because their ice cream spilled. Um, is that good that they cried for five hours over spilled ice cream? No. That would seem to be a more extreme thing. So because of spectrum, we're not going to tell you how much crying you're supposed to do or not do. That's totally going to vary from the person. But it would seem to avoid not crying at all and then avoid like an over um, emphasis on the morning, um, you know, if, especially if it's, if it's a lighter type mm-hmm. suffering or whatever. Mm-hmm. So anyways, so that, that's a really important wrong. Allow, so I, I want you to hear this as you're listening. Allow yourself to simply grieve the suffering that is happening to you. And the, you know, analogy that I often use is like, you know, emotions, uh, you know, what a soda bottle can teach us about emotions. So we've got these, you know, two liter bottle of soda, you shake it up. And what happens if after you shake it up for like two minutes, you go to take the cap off, it's going to explode. And, but if you leave the cap off, the pressure will, it will eventually subside. And our emotions are like that. They're not, we're not designed for them to Mm. continue forever. However, if we put the cap back on immediately, once we like shake it up and release the cap a little bit. Oh my gosh, it starts to explode. We put the cap back on. We don't give a chance for our emotions to process. And so the next time we go to open that cap, it's going to, the same thing's going to keep happening. We keep putting that cap back on. Um, so, you know, the, the, the example of like for people who have been afraid to allow themselves to feel or to let it out, like just to know, like it's not going to last forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also biblical example, you know, scripture that supports that. Yep, yep. But for the example, you know, another example, I think for the six-year-old who's crying, you know, people who maybe think, well, it's, but I do, I do cry for like 12 hours. I mean, for people who are in the midst of it, all, the other thing that we think of, like, if um, our emotions are like a, a fire, um, fires will, if not given fuel, they'll eventually burn out. Our emotions are like that. They're not going to continue ha- on their own however if you keep adding logs to that or oxygen to that fire it's going to continue and so the oxygen or the logs might be distorted thinking or unhealthy coping mechanisms and Mm -hmm. you know so Mm -hmm. it's my fault that this happened or you know and so you might continue to experience that emotion but not because it's the natural emotion called like secondary emotions that's great so you would say let the fire burn don't necessarily keep putting more wood into the fire right exactly exactly i like that i like that a lot okay so, so that so we have that's three of the rungs, and then additionally, be comforted. 
Uh, and this really takes some humility uh, to mm. receive this from other people, just that community, um, just emotionally. This can be mentally or physically, um, balm, uh, encouragement. This can be healing. And uh, something with our culture is the use of medication, which can be good in a lot of different clinical situations. Um, but want to make sure that you're not over medicating and that sort of thing, um, making sure that you're not also self-medicating, uh, getting the advice of a professional and going through that whole process if that's the route you're going to take. And so the idea there, like, for example, let's say you get a really nasty sunburn and then you put some lotion on or ice on. The lotion or ice may not necessarily act- actually help with the healing process, but it gives you some sense of relief in the moment. And so one of the things we found is that is a rung. <laughs> In the grieving process, you want to allow yourself to experience comforts and to be comforted by others. It actually helps release some of the intensity of the pain in the moment. Mm-hmm. Be very careful. We want you to use healthy comforts, but mm-hmm. absolutely, right. you should seek that. Um, so the next rung is get at peace, which um, that's easier said than done. But yes. first, relationally with God, um, and then internally and then relationally with others, and then externally. So let me explain it a little bit. Yes. Because we, we've we done this peace study. We haven't recorded it yet. That's coming up in a couple episodes, and we'll, we'll elaborate on that. But what we found is there's three types of peace, biblically. There's external peace, which is an absence of any affliction or mm-hmm. trauma or whatever. There's internal peace, which is an absence of any angst or negative emotion. And then there's relational peace between two people, which is an absence of any like distrust or anger or whatever, animosity. So our society, a lot of times as humans, we kind of think, all right, so let's try to create external peace where there's no fighting. And then because there's now external peace, we'll now have the internal peace. And now that we have the internal peace, then we can have relational peace with each other. Not necessarily wrong, but there's a different way to go about it. So what we learned in the unpacking study for peace was pursue relational peace with God first Mm -hmm. and understand as far as God goes, he's not irritated at you. Now, he may use anger as a tool in the moment, but it's not, it's not his standard default way of feeling. And he loves you, and he delights in you, and he's crazy about you, and he, and he wants to back you and support you. Um, and so he's like, hey, we're good. I've already forgiven you for, you know, for, for your sins, and so I don't have any of that animosity towards you. Um, so I have that relational peace. I want you to have that relational peace. I want you to trust me, not distrust me, et cetera. And it's that relational peace with him that will most give you internal peace. So like, like my license plate with Isaiah 26.3, you, Lord, give perfect peace to him whose mind is steadfast on you because he trusts in you. Um, and so then now that you have the internal peace, you yourself will be causing more external peace. Um, and you'll, be, you'll likely, more likely have relational peace with others, etc. So part of this with the grieving process then, like you said, absolutely easier said than done. And this is why we're going to do the unpacking study on peace. I was just thinking like a lot of these rungs have their own unpacking. Uh, yeah. Let's see here. Yeah, so the trans the transforming wrong actually is the maturity one that we did back earlier this season. This is the grieving one. We have peace coming up. Hope we did back at the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for this here. Joy and strength we actually have coming up. So actually, yeah, almost all these each get their own unpacking, which is cool. Um, so yeah, so so find that peace. Relation, this goes back to walking with God and others. Find that peace relationally with God um, because that'll give you some internal peace. And so even though outwardly, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians, outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that, that's a really important wrong that you can pursue. 
Uh, and then the next one is the hope rung. So you want to take refuge in hope. So going back to the hope study, hope is, um, ho- you know, the H-O-P-E, holding on to positive expectations. I've heard it said before. And what we learned from the hope study was, is identifying what are the coming promises of God and then taking refuge in them. So a couple of analogies and examples here. One would be, um, so let's say like, like, like uh, you're drowning uh, in, a, in, a, in a, a stormy ocean and up above you there's this platform. I mean, the platform's awesome. It's got um, uh, pillows and chocolate cake mm-hmm. and you know all this kind of stuff. And, and then a rope is dropped down off that platform. <clears throat> and right now, given all the circumstances, you don't have the ability to actually climb up to the platform, but you're at least holding onto the rope. Two things happen. One, you're not drowning because you have the rope. Mm-hmm. And two, you know that, that this too shall pass, and eventually you get to the platform. So another, another analogy would be, let's say um, you're getting ready to go on vacation. It's a Thursday, and you and some friends or your spouse or whoever, you guys are going to go to the Bahamas or France or whatever for like three weeks. This is this awesome vacation. You're going to just sit and chill. You're so pumped about this. And the flight leaves at 6.05, right, Thursday evening. And let's say Thursday, so Thursday you're still working. Um, and you packed that before, whatever. And Thursday's a rough day at work. Mm-hmm. One of the things that helps is, you know what? In four hours, I'm out of here, and I'm going to the airport, and at 6.05, the plane takes off. At 6.06, I'm going to have a Bloody Mary in my hand, you know, and just kind of just chill, and I'm on vacation for three weeks. That doesn't make the day at work necessarily better, but it gives you a little bit of something to kind of get through the day. Mm-hmm. And so even as Christians, we have these... 30, 60, 80, 90 years, how long ever we live in a life, um, it's a lot longer than just eight-hour workday. But because you believe that Jesus is king, you get to go to his kingdom. And this is open to anybody. So if, if you're listening and, and you haven't drinking the Jesus Kool-Aid, you know, um, this is we have other episodes that we kind of go into all that. But we want to encourage you that, that Jesus is this amazing king who's crazy about you. And if you commit to his kingship, you get to go to his kingdom, right? Uh, it's pretty awesome. And so that can give us a, a sense of hope of that. And this is also something that we talked about in the eternal, internal, external lens back in season one. And so depending yeah. on where your focus is, you're going to be able to say, no, I'm, I'm leaving for three weeks and four hours. I'm going to be able to, the, whatever goes on right now, I can handle. And as believers, we can have a similar hope with really the things that happen in this life. Yeah, a lot of bad things can happen, but man, eternity is going to be so good. And so heaven being our ultimate hope yep. is something that we really can be looking forward to. And uh, it just helps us with that focus. So know that when you're going through that suffering, that compensation is coming. Restoration is coming. We don't know when always. We don't know how always. But we know that God's going to repay us for what the locusts have eaten. And so we can take we can take refuge in that. So another analogy is imagine there's a nasty storm, like a hail storm going on. And you find some little cave that you can crawl into to get out of that out of there. The cave is cramped. It's cold. It's damp. It's hard, not the best case scenario, but at least it's some refuge from the storm. In the meanwhile, hope can be that. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I'll say on that is from Proverbs, it talks about uh, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but hope fulfilled will be a tree of life. To me, that's both a depressing and encouraging verse at the same time. It's depressing to think that hope deferred makes the heart sick. So as we're waiting for the good thing to come, mm-hmm. we are going to feel a little sick. But I also like it because it's just being real yeah. <laughs> that, that that happens. That's life. Yeah. That's life. And so you are going to feel a little sick while you're waiting for that hope. So hope doesn't solve everything yet, but it, but it, but it definitely helps. So that's another great rung. Mm-hmm. And another rung is experiencing joy in the current things. So pretty closely related to hope. Uh, hope is more of that long-term focus. Joy is really some of the recognizing what's going on right now. And so we can find joy in God. We can find joy in community. 
in growth, recognizing that we're not where we have been. We have uh, grown in justice in the random little spices of life like dogs and yep. all these other random things. And uh, also just joy in coming heaven, which relates back to hope. Yeah. So I want to encourage the listener. We'll be doing the joy study. We did the joy study already. I haven't, we haven't recorded it yet. Mm-hmm. So when we record it and air it, I want to encourage you. It's a, it's a really, really good thing um, to to try to find more joy. And we, and we talked about beforehand about some people say you just need to choose joy. I don't think any of the three of us believe that. I know Vicky and I don't, mm-hmm. um, but that you don't choose joy. Yeah. There are many things that will bring you joy. And so you can choose to think on those things and you can choose to pursue those <laughs> things, but it's not just the state one can make oneself in. Another thing that we discussed beforehand was like with depression again, that if somebody's in a severe state of depression, joy doesn't always work the way it does when you're not in the state of depression. Uh, I have a friend of mine that, that struggles with depression. I was showing her some of this stuff and she goes, yeah, I don't like disagree with you, but you're not really understanding what, how severe depression can be. It was really good to hear that. She kind of called me out on it. Um, cause like, I think I wanted to have this lighter, but yeah, if you're depression, just find more joy, you'll be fine. She's like, it does not work that way. Yeah. Um, and so I, I really appreciate her, her telling me that. And so we want to recognize that if you're in a depressive, uh, a, a severe state of depression, it may be harder to find that joy, those things that bring joy, um, but at least we have other rungs, right, that, that you can go to, which is good. And even if you're in that current state, recognizing that maybe one of these other rungs you need to do first. So maybe you need to be at peace first before you can be able to find joy. That this yep. isn't like one set order. It is dependent on where you're at. Yep. So the next, the next rung uh, is be strengthened a.k.a. fire in the bones, and I'll let Shannon explain that. Yeah, so th- that was a phrase that shows up several times in, in Proverbs in the Old Testament, when, and I think Isaiah. And we, I just like that phrase, fire in the bones. So we actually already did a unpacking study on strength and power. Again, we haven't recorded it yet, so that's, that's also coming down, down, down mm-hmm. the pipe here. So I pulled the notes up to look at real quick, and so one of the things is, so the idea here is in the recovery process, you want to have strength, because that strength is a fire in the bones for you. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, we put it here towards the end, but we talk about actually strength may be one of the first ones that you want to pursue so that you can climb the ladder. Mm-hmm. And again, it varies, you know, from situation to situation. But the idea is, and remember we went back, we talked about how, we, and, and when, you, when you land on that table or that mountaintop, you feel weary and drained and weak and broken, et cetera. So it may, you know, so for example, your bones are broken. Strength puts a fire back in those bones to, to make it part of the healing process. Mm-hmm. So I really like the idea that one of the rungs that you want to cling to as you're, as you're recovering from suffering is to find strength um, for, for a multitude of, of reasons there. Can you give us a sentence or two practically about how someone can find strength? Yeah, so we'll do a full version of the study, but looking at the notes right here, um, you know, so like in Ephesians, it says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So we, we put a, we put a list together that, that the spirit can help or intercede on our behalf with this, that God himself can just choose to empower and strengthen us according to the riches of his glory is another one of the verses. Um, there was a, there was actually a multitude there. An, another, another way that one can get strength is to be fully committed to God and walk with him. Um, and he's searching for those. This is what we found in the study. He's searching for those types of people. And, and so when he finds one that's actually trying to seek him, he actually gives them strength so that they, they're equipped to go do whatever it is that he's called them to do. And so we had a whole bunch of subpoints there as far as like search for the Lord and trust and hope in him and his promises, hold firm to the word, stand firm in the spirit of the Lord, um, the joy of the Lord is my strength, 
glorifying him, putting on the full armor of God, obeying him and carrying out his word and keeping his commands, putting iniquity away, simply asking for it uh, is another one. Um, and then there's also, we found there's some normal, quote, normal, those, those like spiritual ways, okay. um, food and water, rest, joy in the spices of life, mm-hmm. knowledge and wisdom, helping the poor, being in fellowship and camaraderie, being encouraged by others doing good. These are all different ways that one can acquire strength. Thank you. Yep. All right, so so that's the, the eighth rung. And then the last two rungs are more like conditional depending on the situation. One may be for, uh, the forgiveness rung. And this is a huge can of worms. So coming up here in a couple episodes, we're going to do uh, mercy. Mm-hmm. And biblically, there's two types of mercy. There's compassion mercy and forgiveness mercy. So compassion mercy is you see somebody in need, your heart kind of breaks for them, you try to help them out. Forgiveness mercy is the nasty one. <laughs> and I really want to encourage everybody to listen to the mercy study on forgiveness. And I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to like it. Um, because what the Bible describes forgiveness actually entails, you're not going to want to do. I'm just going to warn you ahead of time. Um, I'm really pumped because um, when I when we did the study and as I as I've chewed on it, I'm like, wow, that's powerful. I don't want to forgive people, but that's powerful. And we're gonna, we're going to break down the step by step component to what forgiveness actually looks like. And so so if 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 in the and as you're recovering from some suffering that somebody else caused, it seems that forgiveness is necessary uh, to part of that healing and recovery process. Keeping in mind, by the way that forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. Hmm. So you might forgive even though you're not reconciled. Um, I guess all I'll say right now, the short, short, short definition of forgiveness is to release oneself of any anger, bitterness, resentment, etc. Refrain from enforcing what may be do or right in the moment. Moving the responsibility of compensation off of the wrongdoer onto God. Uh, releasing the wrongdoer then of any guilt for their sin, and then regaining goodwill towards that wrongdoer. Hmm. Um, it's it's amazing, and so. But anyway, so that's definitely one of the rungs in this this recovery. And then the last one is atone. So this is this is uh, complex, but to atone means to compensate. And so in the process of, of the experiencing dealing with the suffering, you yourself may end up cause, causing some suffering. So, so hurt people, hurt people kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may have lashed out to somebody else because you were grieving, you know, or whatever. Um, and so it may be that one of the wrongs that you have to do is you have to atone or compensate or make amends for the wrong that you caused. I want to qualify that. To me, it seems that overall... God wants to take responsibility for that and actually compensate the people you've wronged. Um, but he may delegate that back to you and still want you to actually carry out the making of amends. Um, and so that can also be a wrong, but that would be conditional upon, you know, you were causing some sort of suffering or whatever. Uh, or actually it also could be, um, let's say like, let's say a friend of yours is going through some kind of suffering and they, they're not going to get amends or compensation from that wrongdoer. But you yourself, like for example, so practical example, um, your house gets broken into and some stuff gets stolen. Um, they don't ever catch the, the thief. Um, your neighbors, your friends may chip in and buy you that new TV just to replace it, right? Mm-hmm. So that could also be part of that process. And so you think about that too. Let's say someone got robbed and so that's a, that's a, that's a form of suffering and they're going to grieve the chance that they're, they're, the, the personal deal, their house is broken into, stuff was stolen, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, part of that recovery process may be them being compensated by friends or loved ones you know, to kind of make up for stuff or insurance too. That's more of an you know, uh, impersonal kind of way. Mm-hmm. So 
So those are the, the 10 rungs. And so, so what we have is you have the five corners that, you, that you're going to land in and then move to the middle with God and others. Um, try to see more clearly whether, and then whether this is fight, fight, or persevere, begin climbing that, that rope ladder of recovery in the different rungs and the different orders, eventually making your way towards the top. Does this make sense so far? Yeah. Uh, and I do think that it may just be helpful, uh, just for fun to say what the five corners were and what the 10 rungs were just rapid fire. Uh, and so the five corners we had, uh, being concerned being sad, a lack of understanding, being discontent with what's going on or uh, having disconnected feelings. Mm -hmm. And then we said that what we need to be doing is we need to walk with and trust in God. We need to see rightly, try and gain that right perspective and then climb this rope ladder, which consists of different things, potentially in different orders, maybe not all of them, maybe more, uh, but repenting, being transformed, grieving, being comforted, trying to gain uh, some sort of peace, taking refuge and hope, experiencing joy in current things that are going on, being strengthened, and then potentially forgiving and atoning. Yeah. So, so that's that's the main thrust of kind of like what we're recommending on this recovery process. And like practically speaking, if I was sitting with someone who was going, they, they were going through suffering, they were grieving, I, you know, I would want to be the one of the ones that they're walking with. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to talk them through which corner you're in. Um, have you moved down the stream a bit? Let's address that and figure some of that stuff out. And then let's, here's the rungs. Which rungs do you really like? Which rungs do you think you need first and foremost? And let's begin doing that. So there's a ton more stuff that we could say. We could give all kinds of actually examples. Mm-hmm. It's just not the place for this episode because this is more the informative uh, episode, right? So with that, I want, I want to kind of move on. Um, I, I move on not lightly because because we could spend more time on that, but, but at least we got that point out there. So so what are the results of this? You know, so one of the things that we do in these unpacking studies is what's the benefit or motivation of, of pursuing or embracing or living this kind of way? Uh, and so it through both through the suffering study and through this one, we end up finding a bunch of, of results and benefits that can come if one is recovering in this healthy fashion. So we're going to kind of rapid fire through this, but we, we at least wanted to identify all of them. So one of one of them is that that this type of process is actually going to give uh, or, or recognize God's glory. And, and what I mean by that is I, I don't, I'm not saying that God gets glory when we suffer. I, I don't I want to kind of give that kind of platitude. But the idea is if you, if you look at Jesus uh, on the cross, right, he experienced suffering for the benefit of, of the whole world. And so one of the things is now that we're going through suffering, we're going kind of going through in a healthy fashion, we can better appreciate the suffering that God or that Jesus went through. Mm-hmm. Um, you also have, you know, we learned that when, that when, when we grieve, God grieves. And so there's also just recognizing a little bit more of his resplendent heaviness is that he's heavily invested while he allows for the free will and all the why, which we don't get into here. Um, but why he's allowed for all of that, it doesn't mean that he's removed himself or distant or, or unemotional about it all, but he's fully grieving and kind of invested with us there. And then also one of the results that comes from this is we have the ability to know and understand Christ much more intimate, intimately. Uh, so just finding greater delight in him, counting all of the things going on in our lives as loss and rubbish in comparison to knowing him even more deeply. Another result of this is that, you know, I can become, you know, I can be joyfully humbled. So all the rewards that come with being humbled, um, but knowing that I'm weak and I can just rely on God and his strength instead of my own. Now we were just want that earlier today. Yes, we were. 
That's good. Um, th- this process can also purify the heart and release you of pain. And it also gives you the opportunity to find greater peace, joy, hope, and love. And that's a good point, by the way. So you can find peace, hope, joy, love, etc. without suffering. It just seems that if you find it in the midst or through suffering, it can be even a deeper version of that. Definitely. Um, and it allows for the development of a more mature character, being able to be set free from the corruption of our sinful flesh, too. Yeah, so that's kind of like, depending on the type of suffering, it actually makes you stronger to resist the next round of sin. Hmm. Uh, and then it can open up opportunities for other beneficial goods to occur. So some suffering may open doors to share the gospel or share in suffering with another or to comfort another or to show grace and mercy or to make us rich in hope. Uh, so it can, it can create these opportunities for other benefits. Yeah, and uh, just a quick example of that. There's a pastor named Levi Lusco, I believe, that uh, he is a pastor out in some state that I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, he goes around now the country talking about some of the experiences that he's gone through because uh, he ended up losing a child, Mm. uh, like on Christmas, or just really tragic circumstances. But he now has the platform and the ability to share with so many others how to work through the grieving process and do some of those different things. And um, just he would have never had that if that terrible suffering wouldn't have occurred. And so just um, a sobering example, but just a practical example of what that can look like. Yep. Because another result is it develops heavenly sorrow rather than earthly sorrow. So this goes back to the eternal, internal, external lens. Where is our focused and kind of that EIE versus woe is me. Mm-hmm. So instead of, being, mentality. Yeah, instead yeah. of being focused on ourselves and our circumstances, really uh, just having the opportunity to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and um, have our weakness um, his strength made perfect in our weakness yep. and just some of those different things. I think there's some Christians that think if I feel sorrow, it's wrong of me because I should always be super thankful and content and happy and joyful and all the good stuff that God is doing. And so my sorrowness is like a focus on the wrong things. Mm-hmm. You, if, if you're afraid of that, don't worry about it. That's totally not, that's not true. There is a heavenly sorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, God grieves, Jesus grieved. Um, and so it is a component of our, of our walk. Mm-hmm. Um, another result from, you know, healthy suffering and grieving is um, the refining process so that it really can settle us and establish us, strengthen us and perfect us as well. Uh, it'll help us find a greater desire for God's coming kingdom because we recognize that we're in this broken prologue. One day we're out, you know, and we can move on. Yeah. It also presents us as a worthy servant and good soldier of Christ, and we're actually given a crown and eternal rewards for that. And also, God will marvel if we endure unjust suffering. And those two kind of go together. What we found is that, you know, that default is to go down the streams. And so it takes a lot of work and effort and intentionality and help to kind of do the right approach. And God knows that it's difficult. And so he's very patient if we go down the stream because that is the default. But he absolutely loves it if, if we find the, the, the healthier way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and so and this goes to, in fact, I'll be glorified to an extent that far outweighs the affliction. This is from Second Corinthians 4, uh, 4. And it goes back to that glorification piece that we were talking about. And there's also the benefit, too, of if we're not going to get stuck. So this just kind of came to me. One of the things that we often talk about with the like suffering and pain and um, the the phrase that I use a lot is like in our pain, we find our values too. Mm, and so that, that kind of goes back to 
Um, uh, I forget which one, but um, I think you were saying, you know, when you suffer, like you're able to feel like the joy and the peace you feel more later too, like, mm, because deeper. you know what it's like to sort of have been on the other side yep. too. Yeah. So <clears throat> this last section, we have some notes here. This is both from the, from the scripture study itself and from the, the psychological uh, clinical research and such. And so we're just going to kind of rapid fire through a bunch of these things. But these were some other components that we wanted you to know that we learned from the study that, that may play into to kind of what you're going through. So one thing we learned is what should you grieve? Um, and so we learned that from the scripture study that you should grieve when others suffer or die. You should grieve unrepentant sin or idol worship. You should grieve injustices. You should grieve when there's wolves among us misleading us. You should grieve spiritual decline of self and others. You should even grieve when we ad uh, admonish others. That like mm -hmm. if you admonish others with no grief whatsoever, it's kind of a cold thing. So to kind of even grieve, oh, man, because like God reluctantly, I, 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 I need to do this. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I'm even grieving a little bit that I have to. Yeah. And we also have some different notes about how to respond to suffering and what are some things that we should do uh, a little more practically. What are some next steps maybe when suffering does occur? And so one of the first things that's important to do is acknowledge your role in it if you do have a role. <laughs> and so um, if you... I think I may have even said it earlier. If yep. this yeah. suffering has come about because you've sinned, <laughs> you should repent and right. acknowledge, uh, that, and, acknowledge yeah. that. And you should do those things. And so then you can actually begin to move through that. And then also it's important to, if you're the victim of sin, to forgive the person that sinned against you yeah. and recognize that they do still need comfort. And even though it may not be your place to comfort them being the victim, uh, we're, we're not saying that if you're the victim of something, then you need to go and comfort the person that victimized you. We're, we're not saying that, but just recognizing that somebody needs to, yeah, hurt people, hurt people mm -hmm. and they do still need help. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's not your responsibility to make sure that they get that, but just something to be aware of yep. as we think through this. It's good. And so the next kind of point here is just that we've talked about this pretty much the whole episode here, but expressing the pain through mourning um, and a deep sigh. So essentially acknowledging the pain so that the grief doesn't get worse. And that point about avoidance and suppression of your emotions and pain is not healthy. Um, the pain can press in on you, can grip you, can cause you to tremble and become weary and brought low and feeble. Um, there was some question about whether when we express the pain, do we do this without bitterness and anger? Do you want to say a little bit more about that? Yeah, so in the Psalms, there's some imprecatory Psalms and such where they seem to be uh, grieving and mourning and lamenting with bitterness and anger. And so there's two camps on this. One camp is since they did it, we can and should do it as well. The other camp is, no, that that's just the Bible was accurately recording that their bitterness and anger came with it, but it wasn't best case scenario because we see Paul later in the New Testament say, rid yourself of all bitterness and rid yourself of all anger. Mm -hmm. So as you lament and mourn, do not let bitterness and anger be a part of that. I'm definitely in that second camp. <laughs> um, but it definitely does when you are expressing, you know, include crying out to God. Um, he hears us and responds us. So, yeah. Yeah, we should rejoice in, in the midst. So we, we 
in the midst of our sorrow. So we talked about the, the joy rung and hold fast to, to the hope of future compensation and for strength and, and the lasting of pain. These are all things that we've already been kind of talking about. Um, and also, it'd be helpful to think of the sweet and sour. So this goes back to season one and the lenses there. Um, that that the sweets are good things that make you smile and sours are good things that make you wince. Mm-hmm. And so understanding that some elements of suffering is that not bad, but other elements are sours, right? Yeah, and with that hope, I think that that really can come through two different uh, means. It can come through endurance, uh, just recognizing that you can, uh, through Christ's power, just make it through different things and uh, be encouraged by that, that it's the suffering isn't going to continue forever um, and that sort of thing. And then also just the encouragement of Scripture and reading the promises in Scripture um, that Christ is near those uh, mm-hmm. who need to be comforted and just yep. the different promises that we see all throughout Scripture. Blessed are those that mourn. And then finally, going to other people in community for support. Um, God comforts us so that we can then comfort others. And there's just a bunch of um, kind of different bullet points about community here that, you know, our community should be sharing in each other's distress, especially one-on-one, individually meeting with each other, not just kind of in a group, but... Um, also praying without ceasing, receiving comfort and consolation for strength and lessening of the pain. Um, but also that that comfort ideally should be coming from someone who knows your heart yeah. and not really cheap comfort, right. um, really somebody that is you have intimacy with. Um, rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn. Um, uh, encouraging each other in our faith. Um, be encouraged to remain faith, faithful with steadfast purpose. And that whole faith point goes back to like walking with God through this, that, you know, faith equals belief plus trust, and it's relying on God in very real ways. Mm-hmm. Also, part of this is aiming for restoration and grieving together, building each other up, um, being patient when this is important, being patient with grieving individuals um, and not making assumptions. That kind of goes back to what we we're talking about, about how someone grieves, not judging I how love they that. grieve. Yeah, I love that. Um, and in everything, giving thanks. And that's can be a platitude, right? Yes. yes. Um, but it's like, like, what am I still thankful for in the midst of all this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then just some other notes that were kind of random that we learned that, that we threw through together here jesus felt and expressed grief himself and he feels grief when we feel grief we even saw some verses that even the ground and earth and nature uh mourns at times and we didn't really know what that meant but the bible does say that it happens right whatever that means Um, and repeatedly we see in scripture god's followers turned from him and then problems arose that they cried about and then god said repent or experience even worse grief yeah, that, so that was one that we saw the, uh, a pattern, especially in the Old Testament, where they would stray away from God and then complain about it mm-hmm. uh, and complain about the suffering that was coming. And God's like, well, this goes back to the point you've made, the repent. Well, stop doing it, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? This, is, this, this part is on you. <laughs> with that. Yeah. Um, and then also knowing that, that weeping and mourning is for now in this prologue. It does not exist in heaven. There's no suffering or affliction in heaven. There's no sorrow or mourning in heaven. Mm. And that's amazing when you think through. That's I would encourage you to go back to, to listen to the heaven study that we did because we talk a lot about this. It's hard for our minds to, to, to kind of wrap around this, but we're going to have an eternity. You know, This is a temporary prologue of several decades, depending on how long you live, uh, of having to deal with this stuff. And then we're going to have an eternity where we don't. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing, even though we don't fully understand how that would work, right? Yeah, and we also just think it's important to recognize the spectrum of emotions that we can have. Uh, we've been talking about weeping, uh, just 
negative things that are going on, but this can also happen with good things. It can happen on a deep love. You can cry out and triumph and joy as well. That's true, yep. This isn't just necessarily something that happens when uh, bad things are going on around you. And so then we, th- those are all from the scripture part of the study. And then we found some cool things from some of the psychological and social um, notes and articles that we were reading. And real quick, I'll say this. So this, so there's, um, there's a website called griefrecoverymethod.com that has a ton of articles that, that I got from this. There's one, barbarafane.com, another like grief counselor. And then the guardian, the guardian.com had an article as well. So that, that's some of the sources that we had. If I, if I remember, I'll, I'll put those in the, uh, podcast notes. Um, but the first, just in terms of the uh, actual effects of grief, grief first, just acknowledging that it's an inherent part of life throughout history. I mean, I mean, obviously in scripture, but just throughout history in general, and even across species, you know, there've been some studies with orcas, elephants, chimpanzees that demonstrate that they experience grief as well. There's no escaping it. It's going to be there yeah it's a natural part of life the the bibleproject.com who i love i i, I told some the other day i got a major crush on the bibleproject.com <laughs> team they're just their videos are so amazing but they made a statement in their job video that this life was never meant to not have suffering and it had really just kind of jumped out of me this this prologue right this temporary time um another thing that that a lot of the articles talked about was this is innately difficult to do that that our natural tendency is to move out of those corners down the streams mm-hmm. and so to actually begin the recovery process in a healthy fashion does require a lot of work it's not our natural so this is why you should be patient with yourself mm-hmm. in the recovery process because this is a much more difficult way that you're going to have to work at and so because you know in our society we're not taught really to deal with emotional pain we're taught you know big kids don't cry you know we're taught to stifle those emotions um and we're not encouraged to to grieve or cry because because of weakness or vulnerability or whatever mm-hmm. and we, we need to overcome that um another thing too is a lot of times in the grieving process you end up losing control and we don't like to lose control um but part of the grieving process is, is allowing yourself to lose a little control right as, as you mourn and, and lament those things mm-hmm. um and as another article had mentioned um that our mind sometimes can see loss and grief as a threat so it actually will signal the body to resist grieving and so you want to you know overcome that and resist that uh and then another article mentioned that just keep in mind that our support systems are not always up to par or what we would hope for in the recovery process which is why having god and or some counselors can go a long way yeah and it's also important to keep in mind that grief isn't a simplistic thing uh that even at a biological and psychological level it pulls on multiple different areas of your brain it can impair concentration memory decision making self-expression just all sorts of different things it can even um, affect different things like appetite and sleeping it can create restlessness and weaken your immune system it has a lot of lasting effects and so we need to make sure that we're not trying to approach it in a simplistic way this is why i really like the idea of, of professional counselors because the article was saying that so when you're grieving, it's actually affecting other areas of your mind and life, mm-hmm. and you need to recognize that, and mm-hmm. so you can you can address it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess just some um, points or practical considerations for the person who is doing the grieving, just to first kind of give yourself a break and not putting too much on your plate. Um, you know, I'm a big proponent of like being patient with yourself. We talked about this earlier that mm-hmm. there's no timeline for grieving. However long right. it takes you is how long it takes you. Um, and sort of being patient with yourself and it's not always a linear journey. There's going to be, you know, one step forward, two steps back at yep. times. Yep. Um, but you know, as you're giving yourself a break, you know, just taking time, exercise, 
you know, walking, like those things, I mean, are incredibly helpful, like physical, taking care of yourself physically. And if you can even taking like laying aside some of your current, if possible, laying aside some of your current responsibilities in life so you can focus more on this. Um, Another thing we learned is that that grief is accumulating and it Mm. builds up and that our bodies are designed to process, not just store. And so if if you're not dealing with it, it's just going to start compiling until it it like overflows. Mm -hmm. So one of the things they were encouraging was, um, and and also you can't conflate or bring all your grieving, the different, the different suffering together and treat them all as one. Each one needs to be treated individually because each one has its different factors. Mm -hmm. So you should always be paying attention to what are the different things in my life that I'm grieving right now, and then try to prioritize or or, or put some sort of strategy to how am I going to handle each one of those and actually address each one one by one. Yeah. And this is also something that's, um, it's really easy to, when you're going through grief, to just keep a stiff lip and not want to talk to anyone about it, not let any of your feelings out. But it's important to really let yourself express things. It's important to do that in community. And um, something that some of the articles recommended was trying to not uh, have your feelings set the schedule, but try and, and not... And we want to be careful here because it's not like you can just say, I'm going to grieve from 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock right. today because that's just when I'm going to do this. It's much more natural and flowing, um, but it can be helpful to try and not um, process through everything like right before you go to sleep uh, because you want to be able to actually get a good night's rest and that sort of thing. So um, being willing to actually talk to other people and go through some of that and not just continue to bottle up like Shannon was saying. Another kind of point for the griever is, and, and this kind of uh, goes back to the distorted thinking, just to be, really be alert for negative and self-accusatory thoughts and to recognize that those are from the enemy. Those are not from God and mm-hmm. be able to really just label them as such. Um, and so kind of, again, continuing to identify your unhealthy thoughts and processes um, and that might need require some help or some, you know, a trusted confidant to be able to point yep. those out. Uh, another article pointed out that sadness may actually be a signal to the brain that it's time to let something go uh, or to let go of a certain expectation that you have. Yeah. And uh, just like we've been saying really all throughout this, just seeking that support structure and comfort from others especially, and I think this is really important, those that are actually wise and skilled and compassionate with the grieving process. Uh, You don't want to necessarily just go to your best friend um, because a lot of times it can be helpful to get an outside perspective. Mm -hmm. Uh, Still someone that you trust, but just um, seeking wise counsel. There's just so much value in that. And so you can actually have uh, more of a second opinion. And so kind of the last thing for the griever, depending on, you know, where you are and the type of grief, if if you are the type of person who tends to experience emotions really intensely and as overwhelming and that they um, if you're emo- if you don't know how how to cope with them. I mean, we're we're sitting here mostly talking about ex- allow ex- allow them to come process them, feel them for some people. And at some times they might just be so overwhelming. And so there may be times where you need something in the moment to kind of get you through so you don't do something that you might later regret. And so thing, there are things called distress tolerance skills um, that can kind of just get you cross over the bridge to help with that. And so, um, but also really, you know, seeking professional help for, for that as well. 
So then last thing with kind of all this data or just other notes is just a couple points for the comforter. So if you're listening to this study and you yourself aren't going through any sort of grieving uh, or suffering, but you're trying to help somebody else uh, out, here's some things to keep in mind. Um, one is try not to avoid the situation or the person and try to be there for them, um, even if it's just sitting and spending time with them. And and remember, we, we've mentioned this several times, it is a time-consuming process. So don't, mm-hmm. don't put a timeline on them of, of how long it, it should take them to recover. Yeah, and along with that, if you are actually trying to help someone, um, just telling stories of bereavement and just different circumstances that you've been through can create some of that bonding or encourage them with the different things that are going on, but it's important to never compare losses to one another, especially um, like loved ones and pets. Uh, Pets can feel like loved ones, but that can really be uh, just extremely discouraging to someone that just did lose a loved one. Um, And you really just want to avoid platitudes. Um, Some of the best advice that I've heard um, from different pastors and people is um, just being with being present like Shannon was just saying because a lot of times as Christians mm-hmm. we like to have all of our different trite little sayings of um, like oh God things all work God works all things together for the good of those who love him and all these different things that are true and scriptural but they're not necessarily what the people actually need right then in the moment right and so, so just recognizing the timing of things because even if something may be true it may not be the right time to actually share those different things. And so um, just avoiding those platitudes, I think, is really important. And, and to just kind of actually piggyback on that as well, I'm, I'm just thinking about, like, if you're listening to this series and there is somebody in your life who is grieving, I would also say not to take this as a to-do list, like, oh, you're grieving, you need to do this and this and this, and this right, will help you through right, your grief. Um, right. That's not what, what this, but really just to kind of be there for them and validate what they're going through. Um, but also just to help out where it's needed, like cooking or running errands for them and just from practical perspective. Yeah, that can go a long way. All right, so let's let's wrap this up. We're, we're a little over two hours uh, as, as we finish all this. Um, and this last little section, I want to make it, you know, so we've given a ton of information. It's the intellectual approach, et cetera. So this last little piece is just kind of get back more, a little more emotional, a little more personal. Um, and it's just for you guys to kind of share because, uh, you know, you guys hadn't done the uh, grieving study when we did it. You guys obviously have expertise in, in some of the other studies and obviously all your research and all that. Um, but so this was a chance to kind of, so as we've talked all this out, where are you guys at? Like, what was something that kind of jumped out at you from the study that like, ooh, this is something for me. Like, for example, with me, it was the um, realizing that anger may be a sign of grieving. That was probably my biggest takeaway. But for you personally, um, what what's what what how are you feeling what are you thinking right now as we kind of look at all this i mean it's just it, it's the overlap between scripture and what you know we know from psychology of sort of evidence-based psychotherapy techniques about not avoiding your emotion i mean they're, they're just go hand in hand mm-hmm. like scripture tells us to cry it's encouraging i tell my patients to cry so right. um you know that that's just it is really encouraging to see that the science and scripture are aligned yep good and I think for me, one of the biggest takeaways was just that picture of the table or the mountain or whatever, however you want to visualize that, of there are just these different rivers. And they start off as things that aren't bad. They actually can be healthy and they can be very helpful. Mm-hmm. But they can quickly turn into things that are just places that you wouldn't necessarily think you would be. 
<laughs> and there are places that you don't want to be. Like just being discontent with something can lead to just resentment and bitterness and wrath and just that sort of thing. Um, like just if we say that and you can say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But then actually taking it a step further and thinking, well, then what are some areas that maybe I end up being bitter uh, about? Like what's actually causing that? And just kind of tracing that back that I maybe wasn't always wrathful about this thing, but I was bitter for a little while. And just tracing that back up, I think, can be really helpful. And even with mm. recognizing that in other people, not like, oh, well, you're uh, wrathful because of this, this, and this. I wouldn't suggest trying to do that for other people, but just for yourself to recognize that people are where they're at for a reason. Mm-hmm. And they didn't necessarily just drop right where they are right. and just decide, I'm going to be wrathful. It just sounds like fun. Uh, no, there's been a progression that they've worked. It's it's not just something immediate. And I think that it's important to recognize that, especially if it's an area that it's not your own. Because a lot of these, it, it just makes so much sense to me that like when you see someone that's sad, it, it can lead to these different things. And um, I think that was just for me one of the most impactful things is yeah. how it can change the way I see other people's grief. Yep. And just how they're working through different things. Good. And even just to see it as grief, period, too. Yeah. Because we, you know, again, if all you see is the end result of somebody like flipping off the person that's driving and screaming and not and recognizing that there, there's a lot underneath that of like where they came from or maybe things that they're avoiding, too. Yeah, man. It, all, all these things in know this stuff does this, too. It goes back to you got to be careful the way that you're condemning others or, or whatever because there's just a lot of stuff going on. You know, if we go back to the beginning of the study where we talked about, you know, kind of like so, so some suffering or affliction, some trauma, some, some loss, difficulty, or pain occurs, and that results in feeling sorrow and pain and brokenness, et cetera, um, which oftentimes is expressed through some kind of mourning or anger or whatever. Uh, and then the need to kind of come alongside others through this process and all that stuff just got reiterated from, from those early stages. So I get a little nervous sometimes when we record a podcast like this, because I'm thinking about individuals that may be listening to this, they're going through some deep suffering and I'm sure that they have issues that we haven't addressed yet, mm-hmm. or they even have objections to something that we said that we hadn't fully thought through the implications in certain scenarios. And so I want to acknowledge that as you're listening to this, you may be like, hey, but you guys forgot about this. Mm-hmm. Maybe we did. It's totally I mean, possible. We haven't touched on the neuroscience of brain chemistry. We haven't touched on like, you know, de- like developmental history and things like that. And so um, it's a small slice. Like, Yep, right. Yeah. So, so I hope, so I, I get a little nervous. I'm like, Oh, I don't know how well we did, but we, we, we put some stuff out there. Um, you know, gave some analogies, some visuals, some definitions that maybe like, like I said, at the beginning of the thing that you find those one or two takeaways that just maybe it was, yeah. maybe it's one of the rungs or one of the corners or one of the definitions or one of the notes that we gave at the end there. It was just something that you needed to hear. Um, great, you know, uh, and, and go with that. And, um, and so I, you know, part of me, I, like I wish I could just sit with everybody. Uh, it's, it's not, it's not feasible. Um, but we're doing our part and trying to, you know, kind of throw some of this stuff out there. Another thing that you had mentioned um, was the seven steps to change, too. Yeah, and uh, just as we've been talking through this, I think that it's helpful. Um, and I don't remember if that was season one or season two at the end of Know Thyself, but just thinking through those different steps and how. Uh, I don't remember all of them off the top of my head, but like you have to be discontent with where you are. 
mm-hmm. before you can begin to change. And, uh, and they I find think a that, resonating solution. Yeah. yeah. Um, and just, I think that it may be helpful if you are in a place that you don't want to be. Uh, with grief or just something that's going on maybe going back and reviewing that too seeing if there's some different steps because like Shannon was just saying we me and him are not licensed psychologists right um we would like to be able to help people and we're both very passionate about that but what we wanted to do is we wanted to provide some different information and I I know I've heard it said many different times but the first step in solving a problem is recognizing that there is one and so just mm-hmm. seeing that maybe um, we don't think that we can solve whatever is going on in your life by you listening to this two and a half hour podcast or whatever it is. But what we do hope is that it can begin a conversation with you and hopefully some people that care about you um, and maybe licensed help uh, if that's what it takes. But just to start that process, to begin to work through things and uh, that this really can be a help to you. Yeah. Uh, even though we have done a whole lot of information and a whole lot of that side of things, that there, I, I really do think that there are some different practical elements in here that can help people yep. really begin that process. But it is a process. Yeah. So, so that's it. That's the study. Um, I hope that you know you're embracing the reality that we're in a broken prologue. You go back and listen to the other episodes of why, what are some of the reasons that that this may be going on. Um, I hope that you realize the importance and the, the, the role that scripture and prayer and community, you know, can play through all of this. And like, you know, a lot of times we hear people say it just takes time. I think, I think it's true, but a lot of times what they mean by that is there's nothing you can really do intentionally or proactively. It's just over time it'll change maybe, but that should be the way that you should go. Yeah, to be, yeah, absolutely. So it's not just let time occur. It's to be doing something productive in that time. Um, and so, and so we wanted to give, you know, some, some offerings on that. So we hope that, that if you're going through some sort of grieving, that you can feel that permission to mourn, that you are intentional, right, with some of these wrongs or whatever. Um, and so we'll, we'll wrap up with that with the actual, the, the next study that the next episode is going to be anger. Hmm. Uh, and that's a kind of a fun one to kind of push back on some of the righteous anger language that we hear. Um, we'll talk more about that and that thing there, but you can, so you can, you can listen to that one. And as always, if you have questions or objections or comments or whatever, you can uh, check out the website, rekindlingministries.org. You can email us at info at rekindlingministries.com. We always would love to get the feedback there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we love you guys. We thank you for, for listening to all this. Uh, Vicki, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Ghost, thanks for, for being here as well. <laughs> um, and we'll see you guys next time. Sounds good. <laughs>